guy to want to get off Bad enough to want to get on him in the first place And you better trust in your lady luck Pray to God that she don't give up on you right now Live fast, die young, bull rider Welcome to Cowboy Shit, this is episode 88 I'm Ted Stoven, he's Wacey Anderson it's a uh, it's a Friday morning. We're recording the show and uh, good you know, Friday, how, good how Friday pod. How the schedules worked? We got a had a day where we were both home and got to do it going. But it's it's eighty eight, like you said, waste. It's the Eric Lindros episode. Oh, right? Who I'm else? actually wearing the Calgary eighty eight sweater. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Yeah, <laughs> eighty eight. That's funny. Uh, who they're, else they're like an old, they're an old baseball team, I think, from Calgary. Oh, really? the, the sea of Dead made this. at their local company. So, anyways, eighty eight from uh, the Calgary Olympics. What 88, else? 88 Eric with, Lindros. Is it Manjapani is 88 or is it? Hey, Manjapani uh, is 88. Uh, yeah. Well, so somebody else is Willie, Willie Nylander. Nylander is 88 now. Yeah, that's it's cool, a, man. It's a good. What, what, what do you think? What do you think about the guy uh, wearing 90? The two, those other guys wearing 97 this year. What do you think about that? Like the like Kaprizov mm. and Thornton? It seems kind of like they're throwing some shade at McDavid, but I don't know if like mm. he doesn't own that number. No, he's. It would be different if like. McDavid had had is at the same point of his career with like Cross Crosby or whatever he like Greg Crosby won three Stanley Cups like this that and the other. Yeah. If someone were so at this point, if someone else were to wear eighty seven, it'd be really weird. Yeah, but I don't. Well, think I thought McDavid... it was funny. I thought it was funny with the McDavid thing though. Not guys yeah. like and he's like I want to be ninety seven. Screw this. Maybe, but maybe like I don't know what. Maybe Caprizo was born in ninety seven. I don't know. Could be. I yeah, a lot of those guys go off that. But any, anyways, like yeah, I don't know. I, it's one of those things I've always found it funny, like the gatekeeping of numbers. Like I remember when. Uh, Josh Hosang, he want he wanted to wear sixty six in New York, mm-hmm. and, and there like, was a big uproar. And he like contacted <laughs> he it, Mary, though, didn't he? and yeah, and he contacted Mary Lemieux, and he didn't think it was anything of it, right? So hmm. it just it's just, I I guess the only number I guess which I mean like Bobby Orr number four is kind of weird too, but like the un- yeah un- that one's just so the only untouchable is Wayne Gretzky, right? Like right ninety nine, like yeah. you did like a, just like a, like a jackass wearing ninety nine playing hockey now, yeah. And then maybe that maybe that hap- gets to that point with like Connor McDavid, who knows? Maybe. That's what that's what I was getting at. Like, I just thought it was yeah. funny that those like even Joe Thornton, like Jumbo Joe's wearing ninety seven. Yeah. I was like, what is he up to? It's kind of <laughs> probably funny. he seems like a kind of guy who just like to fuck around. He seems like a good dude. <laughs> as I was funny, like uh, I was listening to Fan Night sixty the other day, and like they have Chris Vestig on every week, and he's great, man. Like if you ever have a chance, he does a great mornings, job. He is he is my favorite hockey analyst. Like I could listen to Chris Vestig talk about hockey all day. Um, but he mentioned like how much he loves Connor McDavid, and he thinks he's the best player that he's seen since. Uh, let me you and Gretzky. So and wasn't he pretty saying, lucky? I, we don't need to go too far down the hockey. No, talk, but no, no. It's just, it's just yeah. It's, it's pretty cool that we were able to watch somebody like that on a consistent basis. He's a pretty pretty remarkable guy. So maybe one day you'll see ninety seven and retired across the league. Yeah, it could eh? That mm-hmm. is that the only number that's actually retired across the league. I don't know this. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, it's the only okay. one. Yeah. I think about that sometimes in regards to like our stuff, like Western sports. Like, how do we market our people better that way? Like to have a you know, mm-hmm. there's been some jerseys different times, like team, like only with the global cups or really mm-hmm. like, like the different team matchups. So it's kind of, I don't know. There's not really like a Jersey and even like a shirt, like people mm-hmm. will like give away like a shirt sometimes. Yeah. The only thing like, we really have is like the ring of honor. Like, hey, is like, would be the way like those people are recognized. Oh, you recognize. Yeah. But I was, I was yeah. thinking more like on the marketing side of things, like yeah, other guys like know. wear jerseys or something sometime, but I, I don't know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of like there's some guys that do like I think Shane Proctor had a jersey thing at one. He used to wear a jersey, like, yeah, for sure. Who else? Um, 
I know. And then some of those, some of the Aussie boys had had thing. Yeah. Yeah. The Aussie boys used to wear jerseys all the time. So I think Justin Page used to wear one too. Yeah. And Justin as well. Yeah. Kind of, it's it's the bullseye stuff, I think. Yeah. What they were. I don't know. That's that's a, that's a good thing to ponder. I don't know how you would, uh, how you make that happen to. Right. Because we're not on teams. No. But I mean, how does somebody market their stuff like a jersey? Mm -hmm. Maybe, but it's kind of a funny way to do it. And it looks really awkward on, on, over top of a vest too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or even under a vest doesn't quite fit so an invest mm-hmm. is way too expensive so i don't, I don't, I don't know what that know looks that. like sometimes yeah it's, right? it's a really i i'm like stumped on so that. individual yeah it's kind of almost got to be like a nascar thing but then they have their like suits they're in where that when they race right but you just have like a cowboy shirt it's kind of a little bit low and it's, no, it's one of those things, anybody, one of those things like, too where it's like do we have like a? Is there like, I guess there's like the, like obviously like the Rodeo Hall of Fame and the Cowboy Hall of Fame and stuff, but is there like a PBR like Hall of Fame? Somewhere? Yeah, it's Ring like, of Honor. I don't know. I don't think they actually have it physically anywhere though. I think you're yeah. Like, I mean, like a Hall of Fame maybe, would be cool. Like you get like Justin McDride's shirt that he wore when he rode Camo or like shit like yeah. that. You know, like just that like, cool. and a glove or something maybe. But like, yeah, you're not gonna buy a bull riding glove to go watch an event. No, no, no. But just like like you know how you have like a hockey like the Hockey Hall of Fame yeah. kind of thing, right? Like no, I agree. You can, a way to like immortalize these people and again like on a marketing front. I bet go it's back something, and walk walk people through it, right? I bet it's something uh, to do with uh, with the PBR's headquarters in Pueblo. They've got the mm-hmm. Sports Performance Center. I bet there's a little bit of stuff there, and I think the trophy lives mm-hmm. there. But I mean, yeah, nothing really exists yet in the bull riding world. Yeah, none of, none of the PBR guys are in the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame because that would be a conflict, right? So, <laughs> yeah. and up here, like you think of a guy like a guy like. Uh, Glenn Keeley rode, you know, in the PBR and in the mm-hmm. pro rodeos, but he only got in the hall of fame in Canada really recently. I think mm-hmm. the same thing goes for Rob Bell. He only got in very recently too. Mm-hmm. guy that spent mm-hmm. most of his career in the PBR. So it's kind of like he won Canada, but if he only rode in the PBR, like, like look, look at Aaron Roy. Now he's mm-hmm. not going to go into the Canadian pro rodeo hall of fame for any reason. Mm-hmm. No offense to Aaron, but it's kind of no. like, there's a bit of a, but if there was, a, if there was a, a PBR hall of fame, like he would belong in that hall of fame, I would say. I would think so. There's not been very many guys win a million dollars in their career. A million dollars, and he's like one of the like he's the only three time champ, isn't he? In Canada, in Canada, I'm just yeah, talking so like I mean, uh, yeah. like uh, I don't know if there's enough. To but like, but but the, yet, but but we'll be like the, the but even you look at the world. hockey hall of fame, like they have international exhibits and yeah, and like performance to it. You know what I mean? Like you have to celebrate the sport as a whole. You can't just like cent like centralize it on like the PBR, like the Unleash the Beast and whatever. Yeah, but sure. that'd be it'd be cool to like have access to that because I think there's a lot of history and and how far the sports came as well or has come as well so um the records yeah. aren't great at times either though like even looking at the canadian pro audio hall of fame like i was a member of the board of directors for a few mm-hmm. years and uh finding some of the info is challenging at times mm-hmm. and like going back to do our lists there's no records anywhere that i know of and i'm not sure if it was a northlands gaff or if it was a cpra mm-hmm. thing but like it's very difficult to find actual results at the cfr yeah. years but if you're doing like the PBR though, like PBR would be easy, wouldn't it? Because like it's basically been documented since, conce- like, in, in, not, since not it not really either way. It's like really? they, okay. they I'm, didn't I'm have great curious. records the first few years either. Like we went right. back trying to find some stuff, and like Pro Bull Stats had a lot of the stuff back to like '97. I think Slate has it all back to, but like the first mm-hmm. three years, like '94, '95, '96, it's pretty dark. It's pretty challenging to find. Even in the PBR mm-hmm. Media Guide, actually, on yeah. the shelf over here, there's not a. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of wild but there's not a whole bunch of info yet like they don't they don't go back super far like i could yeah i could bust it out and show you but like prca is the best they've got 
uh, mm-hmm. as far as records go, like I can go look back and I actually did it one time. I looked back through every single year and found out which Canadians made the NFR and whatnot. So I can, you know, if somebody says they finished 16th and they like just missed the NFR. I can actually go back and like some of them, some of it I can actually see, mm-hmm. but, uh, but, uh, it actually tells how many times they made the finals, right? Like I went back through and found, and if mm-hmm. somebody didn't mm-hmm. make it or got hurt or whatever, you can actually find like if they qualify, but didn't go. And so I have all that information here and I can actually check it. Right. Cause there's some things, mm-hmm. even with our guest this week, Cody Snyder, I think on, on the pro, like the Canadian pro audio hall of fame, they said they made the NFR three times, but clearly in He's the records, four. It's four, yeah. right. So, mm-hmm. so there's some stuff like that where it's just, you know, but it's, it's crazy that even the CPRA, we don't have much for records from the CFR. Mm-hmm. And then it kind and of gets funny with uh, with the way that the champion was crowned for years, where the sudden death stuff, right? Sudden death. But they even yeah. did that in the PRCA from 1976 to 78, and that's denoted mm-hmm. in the book too. So mm-hmm. it's interesting, interesting stuff. But I mean, yeah, keeping those records, I think, is is important. important. Even a couple of years ago, yeah. we did one for the PBR in Canada. Like I was mm-hmm. bored one winter. I shouldn't say bored, but I was at home one winter, and I put together a whole list of everybody, and we put it on the mm-hmm. PBR Canada website. Like it was actually something that didn't exist before. It's, we, it's really cool to have that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because we and, 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 and cool. times. Yeah, really and you can yet. make that an experience, you know, like with the history and everything that's happened. Like, have, there's like video that's segments what, you could have. Like, yeah, that's what they've done with the with the Hall of Fame in the U.S. And yeah, the, yeah. The Hockey Hall of Fame. We have both been there. The yeah. uh, Canadian Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame. It's all volunteer run, and there's nobody really paid to help improve mm-hmm. a lot of it yet. So, but they still have a great spot. It's an awesome spot there in Penelka. Penelka, so. right? Yeah, yeah. I've been up yeah. there. It's great. Yeah, it's super nice. Yeah, it's, I think that would be it's something that would again like help tie in, like you said, like kind of maybe, market it a bit better. Like maybe the PBR in Canada does something to work with the Canadian Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame at some point. Mm-hmm. Maybe, something like that. Good. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's what it looks like. I don't think PBR Canada will do their own at this point. There's not even any, a real office in Canada at this point yet. There hasn't no, been for no. a few years. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But anyway, Gleason back on the show and pitch our idea, pitch our idea to <laughs> PBR Hall of Fame. As much as I'd like to speak, say, yeah, it'd be kind of cool. As much as I'd like to say, I don't know what the business case looks like for it yet because it does make sense. <laughs> no, money. no. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But if you make Anyways, the right experience, people are going to want to seek it out, right? Yeah, it could work. Definitely could work. It's got to be, we got to get, keep building this thing up and keep it rocking and we'll see where we're at. But like speaking to that, though, one of the pioneers of that was our guest this week, Cody Snyder, to put on, mm-hmm. you know, the first standalone bull ridings in 1993 before the PBR even existed and then go and work with them and kind of help them bring pyro into their events it was an interesting story that way it's cool to hear that hear that side of things you know because that's yeah something we don't know yeah yeah it's, it's something that's so important with the sport now yeah. like, like that's like a pillar of what makes the pbr and standalone board events successful is the presentation and and the experience and 100 to hear that that's something that started down the street from where we live is kind of neat well, how about the first meeting being at the crossroads on 16? Yeah, yeah. Like, there's cool, a crossroads man. furniture market there now. It used to be a different hotel. It was a Ramada at one point. But yeah, the first meeting for the PBR happened in Calgary. In Calgary, yeah. It's Who cool. And, then, and, then, and to hear that, well, I, I don't think dive too dive deep, but like dive too deep into the conversation, but like guys turned it down. They said no. Like, yeah. How crazy people, is that? Yeah. And I mean, it's one of those things too, where it's like, it's easy to sit Never here and know. say, oh, you're stupid. But like, yeah, who knows? Like, Cody said he was what it may have been short on cash or whatever, right? Like there's uh, there's tons of stuff there that we didn't know, but it's just crazy to hear that there was there's a few people Guys, who ended up down. saying that. Yeah, yeah, you <laughs> yeah. looking back, but yeah, pretty wild. But it's, anyways, it's we'll funny. get to the we'll get to the interview here again. Cody Snyder coming up after the break. This is episode 88, Cowboy Shit with Ted and Wacy. We'll 
be back with the big part of the show right after this. He became the first Canadian to earn the title of PRCA World Champion Bull Rider in 1983, making his way to the Wrangler NFR on four separate occasions. He's the 1986 Canadian Champion Bull Rider and the 1994 Cowboy of the Year. In 2002, he would be inducted into the Alberta Sports Hall of Fame and is a 2005 inductee into the Canadian Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame. Topping that off is a 2006 induction into the PBR's Ring of Honor, producing over 400 events to date through bull bust and ink since 1993 he and wife and business partner Rhonda and their and their two children have raised over two million dollars for charity through those events he's a three-time coach of team canada for the pbr's world cup and has been a color commentator on networks such as oln espn rogers sportsnet tsn and cbc for over 20 years born and raised in Redcliffe, alberta now from okotoks it's cody snyder welcome to the show well, thanks for having me guys yeah, what, a, what an intro, words. Teddy. Nice work. That's the, like, that's the longest one to date. So where far. did you get that from? <laughs> I, uh, I did a lot of research over the past few days. To make sure <laughs> a lot of stuff I've forgotten about. I guess it happened a while ago. I think I think the only one I had longer was Wayne Volds because he asked me to write it for him to go to. <laughs> so uh, awesome. so you're in Okotoks at home today, Cody. What's it been like for you this last? Uh, I don't know. I don't know how far you want to go back, but how's things been lately? Well, it's been a year, you know, since this lockdown deal and, and, uh, you know, it stopped our, stopped our bull riding business. It's, uh, it's hurt the oil patch. I mean, you know, it's, it's tough, you know, you, you just have to, you have to pivot and move on to other things, but it's, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely slowed a lot of things down. What have the other things been for you? Well, you know, like uh, I've been in oil and gas business and, and it's, you know, it's been a big supporter of our bull riding events as well over the years. And, you know, so part owner of a service company and, you know, I got some things going on and on, on the other side of the bull riding business as well. So, but, and it's a good thing because, uh, <laughs> you know, we <laughs> had stopped in our tracks here and it doesn't, things aren't looking really good for this year again. So I don't know. It's, uh, it, it, it's tough around the bull riding rodeo business. Tell us more about, about Big Bear and, 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 and that side of your work you've, you've, uh, worked, in, in the oil business for, I, I, I want to say 25 years too, or so like about as long as you've been in the, in the bull riding side of things. And I guess even before that, before you started the bull riding company, you worked in the oil field as well. Yeah. You know, that goes back a long ways when I was a kid, you know, when I was uh, 15 and 16, I worked a couple of winters on the oil rigs in the British block. Um, Back, that was old school, man. That's no ancient, no ancient as back then. Is that Boyle Island drilling from uh, in seventy nine and eighty one? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's old Boyle Island drilling, man. And there's some guys that watch this and they all laugh their asses off. When, <laughs> you know, my buddy Kevin Rockwell and I, you know, like 
you know, we grew up down there in Medicine Hat and that's, that's what that whole city was predicated on was oil and gas business. And, you know, when I got done and I, you know, when I retired from riding bulls and I started doing, uh, putting on bull ridings and, you know, and then I, I, I started working downtown in 2010 or 11, downtown Calgary doing sales in the, in the oil and gas business. And, and really I've been doing sales in the oil and gas business since I retired from bull riding. Cause a lot of the sponsorship and a lot of the mm-hmm. ticket sales and things that, are, that we've, that we've sold around our bull riding events, you know, I did that downtown Calgary. So I was doing business development of a sort in the oil and gas business then as well. So, so really I've been kind of down there uh, for about 25 years. So it's been a big part of our life and uh, been a big part of, of why we've been able to have the success we've had in our, with our bull riding events. And uh, you know, the Canadian oil and gas business uh, has been a huge, huge supporter of, you know, like look at the Calgary stampede. I mean, you know, Calfrac and, and TC uh, energy and all those big companies are, are you know, always around. Yeah. So many of mm-hmm. them. And you know, this, 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 this downturn here and, you know, and what's going on with the whole oil and gas business, it's, it's affecting this business. And, um, you know, it's, it's tougher. Those are the kind of companies that's, that, that sponsor a lot of events and help a lot of guys out. And, you know, and they've been heck like Jake Bold. And there's been tons of guys have been sponsored over the years from oil and gas service companies. And uh, so it's, uh, it, it's a lot of guys work at it too. Like what you said, right? Like they, they send their winters working up North and it's so much harder to find work now with, with yeah, the downturn. Yeah. 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 You know how many guys you know went in the winter time and go jump on a rig or go and work in the oil patch and come out that's what I all did. summer long. And, that's yeah. what I did. Yeah, I did it for yeah, three winters. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I want to ask. So. I want to ask how much different was it like back then, like on the rigs? Like you said, fifteen and sixteen back in like late seventies, early eighties. I I would love would have loved to be a fly on the wall in those rigs because it's got to be like you go if you've been on going site now. I don't know how much you do that anymore, but it's got to be a complete like. 180 to what it was like when you were actually on the floor doing all the oh, stuff 360 oh, yeah. Man, it was, <laughs> yeah you know we it was 40 below 30 40 below and it was cold we didn't have steam and we didn't have all that stuff to thaw the ground and we we didn't wear safety goggles and you know we you'd have to dig those ditches and between the pits you know and yeah, three yeah. feet deep and it was froze that far down you'd swing a pick as hard as you could in a piece of frozen darted fly up and hit in the eyes and it was just <laughs> it was just old school you know and it was but it was good man you could you could make more money there than you could make anywhere else just mm-hmm. like it's always been in the oil business and uh so it's, it's been really good we got a lot of friends a lot of guys that rode bulls that worked in the worked around the oil rigs in their in their days I asked this question to James Foley last time when he was on we we're talking about it what's the best piece of advice you ever received working in the oil field that you can remember. Mine, mine is don't, don't put your, your dick where you wouldn't put your hand. <laughs> yeah. or put your hand where you wouldn't put your dick. That's what that's stuck with me to this day. Yeah. You know, that, that's a good, I, I don't know, man. It, it, uh, I just remember, you know, I, I, uh, that last, I remember the last shift I was on on that and we were done working and, and, uh, the guy that I worked for, his name was Martin Bozer and him and my dad were really good friends. They worked together on the oil rigs for years and, and uh, it was cold and it was nasty. And we were in that car and we were headed for long change. And it was going to be spring breakup or whatever. And that was my last shift. And I said to Martin, I says, you seen me. This is the last shift you will ever see me on in one of these things. I says, I'm guaranteed I am going to be one hanging on SOB when I show up next rodeo. And 
he just laughed. He says, you'll be back. You'll be back. And then I seen him about, geez, 1994 up in Edmonton out of bull riding. So about 15 years later, and he come up to me, he says, man, he said, you kind of stick by your word. That <laughs> <laughs> was the last shift ever. But anyways, it was, it was good. That must, that must have been a good a feeling. That would have been a good feeling too, having him roll up a, a, a few years later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because that must have been like pretty motivating, like doing that kind of work. I know it sure motivated me when I was up there. And that was like a piece of advice Gary LeFew gave me when I was down at his place is find a job you like absolutely hate and that'll make you want to <laughs> ride bulls good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, actually, I didn't hate it. It was good, man. It, you know, it was good. It, you, you worked hard and you, mm-hmm. you uh, made a lot of money. And, but I was there for one reason it was so I could go on rodeo and get enough to, you know, to, to get on the trail and get going. So I think we should go back and go back to the beginning, Cody. I want to know Redcliffe. So I don't know how far you want to go back, but I just want to say, I want to throw in a couple pieces. Um, I want to talk about, I I think we should, we should touch on Bill Page a little bit and what it meant to be an athlete and having that background in the, as an athlete first to go on and and be successful in the bull riding world. I kind of want to go back to that, but let you take it from there, wherever you'd like to start in the beginning well you know when you talk about bill page so he was my uncle you know him and my other uncle pat page so they were the coaches of the boxing club there in medicine hat and you know they started that boxing club and um you know so i boxed for these five six years like as a provincial champ and stuff i had 32 fights so Not a big i boxed quite a bit and it, <laughs> it was a big you know the boxing deal i think helped me in several ways that that you kind of you know, they're, they're, I fought some pretty tough guys over the years, and and you you know you 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 just don't back down, and you got to come out swinging, man, and you you know you get smoked, and you, you just you never quit. You got to keep trying hard, and but the cool thing with boxing is is uh, you know I got in shape like there was years there I was in there wasn't many guys that were in better shape physically than I was, and. And the thing with boxing was it was you, you kind of kept your your muscles super like you didn't lift a bunch of weights and that like it was a lot of road work, a lot of training and you just and it was fast. You know, you had to be quick and, and nimble on your feet. And I think, in it, and it, you know, that that really helped me in the, you know, the, the boxing side of things helped me riding bulls and, uh, you know, quick reflexes and um, and concentration. It was one thing that I, I that I got from boxing, you know, when you're. When, especially skipping you when you skip a lot and you just get into that zone where you're just going, 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 and you just, you'd lock in and you could concentrate and you block everything else out. And, um, you know, and that's like riding bulls was, was, you know, when you get in and you could get into that zone where nothing was out there, it was just there. And I think, you know, it really helped for the concentration side of things. So that would have put you like ahead of your time. Like in that, in that aspect, like a lot, yeah. a lot of guys were doing that stuff outside the arena to get themselves ahead. Now you're seeing that's kind of catching on now, but yeah. you're kind of a first mover when it comes to that, that side of the coin. That's a good point. You know, when it, it, I, when I think back now and on some of that stuff, you know, it, I was really 20 years ahead of my time on that stuff, you know, and it, it, uh, you know, and, and, and even the food and the diet and stuff, you know, like when you had to, you had to eat right. And you, you learned about protein and you learned about strength, you know, uh, different things that you ate. You know, I remember, I remember Carmen Rinke, he fought in the Olympics and I got to know him pretty good. And he, uh, before his fights, you know, that you'd have to make weight. And then for breakfast, he'd eat like a dozen eggs and 
26 pieces of bacon and you know pancakes <laughs> and it was just and he's 150 pounds yeah you know but it was all about the protein and then and, and getting all that into your system so that you were strong enough right and so i i kind of I, I tried to eat right when i was when i was rodeoing as well and that was kind of ahead of my time mm-hmm. you know so the the diet so that you know all a lot of that stuff was learned from boxing and from, from other athletics you know i think you know there was some guys around there was a lot of the americans wrestled there was guys that were really good wrestlers back in the day and stuff that that kind of understood that stuff as well i think but it uh yeah it's a it's a whole different ball game nowadays did you did you box to become a better bow or did you box to box <laughs> <laughs> good question um really good one no nah, you know i i think it was just because you know it was my uncles and we kind of, we grew up around them and they started the boxing club and it's kind of like, let's go. You, you got to go to the boxing club. Like we were the first ones when it first started, we were, we were the first ones when medicine at boxing club ever first started, you know, with, you know, Bill Page and Pat and Ev Nyman and, and it was a bunch of great old fighters. And, and, uh, it was just one of them things that, that you did. And, and, you know, and I, I kind of, wasn't scared. I didn't back down from too many scraps and stuff when I was a kid. So I kind of didn't, it, it was kind of right up my alley and I, I really liked it. I love boxing. You know, we, we went all over the place, like all over Montana, I fought in Montana quite a few times and stuff. And yeah, so it was, it, it was, it was a good part, but, but you know, when I went back to the boxing club, um, the last time that I really, really got in shape there was 1987 when I, I got hurt and, uh, you know, just before I got hurt, tore my groin up pretty bad. And then I, before the CFR and then, uh, and then the NFR, that's the year I won the Canadian and my groin was a, a mess. And, uh, so I really, I hit the boxing club right after the NFR and for about until I went to Denver. So I was about, I was a good month, you know, five weeks of hard, hard three, four nights a week in there. And I came out and I was in really, really good shape. And, uh, and it paid off because I started winning right away and I had a great year in 1987 and, you know, and, and it, uh, so it, it definitely, uh, definitely was a big part of my career, I think, and definitely helped me some. And you're also the guy that you want to be around when there's a fight at the rodeo dance. You want to be on your team. <laughs> oh, <my> <laughs> <God>. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a few guys around like that. Did you, did, you, did you ever have to use your boxing skills at the cabarets though? Did that ever come into play? <laughs> no, never, not once. Ted. Really? Not really? Once. Wow. No. wow. You, just, you just had it if you needed it, but never needed it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, Ace, I know. Never got in one. so so when when did you box from i'm curious on the timeline did you box from when you were like 12 to 18 or was it like yeah you know so i was about yeah i can't remember 11 till i was about 15 16 kind of deal. you know four or five years in there so i was curious just on the timeline just kind of when you did it because i like i know i never rode that good but when i rode the best it was when i was playing hockey and playing hockey three times a day and going to the gym and I was the yeah. most fit. That was when I had the most success riding and I was like only 17, but, yeah. but that definitely just puts it in a different state. I, like even your, even the skipping you're talking about, that almost sounds like a, like, like a meditative exercise where it's, it's tr- not even, not just training you physically, but training, it was training you mentally at the same time is what you're, what you're saying too. Yeah. And, and you didn't really realize it, you know, as much and I, but I, and I remember, you know, when you think back about and you just and you get skipping and you're just going and you get into that zone where and you're just you can just rattle, right? Oh yeah. And I, I can remember, you know, rodeoing and and when you're hot, things are rolling like you could I mean you could sit across is weird how when things are really 
really clicking and your mind is just, everything is clicking. You could sit on one side of the dressing room and you could throw a piece of paper and hit a garbage can from 20 <laughs> feet away. It, I mean, it was crazy how when you get into that zone and there's nothing like it, like it's hard to explain, but uh, you know, and when that, when your concentration is at its best, that's, that's when you ride your best. I went, uh, I went back and looked, looked up some different things. And, and so you started riding junior steers when you were only eight years old. Is that kind of your first experience rodeo? Rodeo wise? Yeah, I was younger than that. I, really I, I, re, I can remember right now, Claire's day, the first one my dad put me on at uh, Walsh at uh, <laughs> Little Bridges Road. And I was about five. And, oh, really? Yeah. And I got on and I can, it's weird, but that's a long, I mean, I was, and I can remember getting on and hanging on and he, and this calf took off running out of there and, and I was kind of hanging on the side and hit my head on the barrel, the clown barrel out there. <laughs> oh, so that's a long time ago, but yeah, oh, wow. you know, and then we just wrote everything. I mean, I was just the same as, you know, most of us kids growing up at that time, you know, had buck and barrels and stuff all, we had a hell of a buck and barrel set up and neighbor kids would come over and we'd ride and then, you, you know, we'd have horses, we'd make our horses buck, we'd jack with them, make them buck, try to buck you off. And heck, we just got on everything that moved. So I got to ask, so at 15, was it, were you 15 and you won the CCA in the open bull yeah. riding and the steer riding in the same year? Is that yeah, right? I didn't win the steer riding. But you won I, the open bull riding and you were, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I won the bull riding and I, uh, yeah. So I went there in the, in the steer riding and the bull riding and, and, uh, I was young, you know, I was a baby, like the rest of them guys were, you know, I was 15 and they're all 20, you know, 18, 20 years old kind of a deal. And. Yeah. So I, yeah, it was kind of, kind of things happened pretty quick there. Well, and, uh, things happened pretty quick when you got into your pro career too. You had a lot of motivation after working, working, uh, working the, on stuff on the base over there. And then, but, yeah. but before that, I think we got to go to, uh, the underground arena. Is that, whose oh, place yeah. is that at? Was that at Dale Rose's <laughs> place? Oh, my career to Dale Rose. Yeah, yeah. Dale Rose's place, you know, that's where we, he, he had that arena down and he, it's hard to explain. Like people wouldn't even believe you if you told them, you know, and we didn't have the fortune of having video back then and stuff. If we could have filmed any, like it was unbelievable. <laughs> like it was a good content. It was, Oh man. Like, and, and what we got on, I mean, his dad, Dale's dad, Dale Rose. So Dale Rose made the CFR a few times and Hoot was his nickname and, and, you know, Kevin Rockabar and the dirt boys and, Newfeld and Johansson's heck everybody got on there John Dodds the first time I ever met John Dodds was at Dale Rose Arena you know my all-time hero and and uh but Dale Rose's dad Reg was a cattle buyer and he would go buy truckloads of bulls and that's what we got on <laughs> so you had no idea what was going to show up and he'd show up with a truckload of charlets that weighed 18 1900 and you couldn't even get your rope on these things they were huge and they were wild and we get on and we that's how we learned we got on it was just hang on and don't let go and uh you know there's like Wilford came out of that out of that pen you know the great you know he was a buck and bull year in Canada and there's been a lot of great really good bulls that came out of there roulette came out of there freight train there was a lot of good bulls over the years that came out of Dale Rose's arena so tell me how this thing was made and what like so first off where were you (laughs) what when did you go there first were you like 15 16 14 when did you start going there yeah, you know what? So I was 12 and I can remember. So Hoot would charge guys five bucks to get on. For the and day I wanted or per to head? get on. He, what's that? Per, per practice pen. 
Yeah. Per, so practice per okay. Yeah. So, and, and to explain it, so I gotta, you gotta go back to that. So what he did, <laughs> he built it himself. So he, <laughs> he, he, he got a bulldozer and he dug a, a hole in the ground that was, and he roped calves too. So it was long, like it was probably 60 feet wide by Jesus, a couple hundred feet long. Oh, it had a big turn back fence in there for bull riding. But if he wanted to rope calves, I mean, it had the length to rope calves. That's why he built it. So, and then the walls, he, he put set posts in on the walls along the sides and nailed uh, two by sixes to, to, to the walls. And there was, there was two ladders about 30 feet down each side to get out of there. And that was it, man. You knew. Oh, there, so there's no fence to climb up either. Like oh, you. no. <laughs> and it was, I'm talking, it was like, ask Don, Don Johansson, Dale, them guys all went down. I mean, Brian Adley, everybody started there. And yeah. I mean, you, I've seen a lot of guys get mucked out bad and they're like carving <laughs> dirt. I mean, I, the ambulance, like they hauled a bunch of guys out of there over the years. Nobody ever got killed. And I don't know how, but Holy. it was wild. And that was, that was the deal though. You just, you know, you got on and you learned how to ride. But my dad, when I was 12, I wanted to ride. And I told him I wanted to, I wanted to ride. I didn't have no money. I couldn't afford to pay five bucks to get on. So dad, he went up there and told Hootie, he gave Hoot 25 bucks. He says, let him get on 25 bulls. So <laughs> I was a little kid and I'd go and get on these bulls. I'd go get on two, three, four, whatever, however many they'd let me get on. And I'd get on until my money was done. And dad'd give him another 25 bucks. And I'd get on another 25 of them. Holy. And that was just wow. kind of how it went. Jeez. So, okay. So how'd they, how'd they build the roof on this thing? I, I got the wall story, but what was yeah, the okay, roof? The wall. So, and he, he built, so what he did is he took, he took telephone poles and he, and he put telephone poles across the roof at an angle and he put all telephone poles down. So he had, Holy shit. And who I'm like, who was, of uh, he was a, he, he still has records stuff from the medicine at high school. He's one of the smartest kids that ever went to school. Like one of the most intelligent people you ever met in your life. And he could figure stuff out. And, and there's guys that, that will watch us older guy, you know, like Joe Dodds and some of those guys who'd had a, he built a, a poker chip collection from uh, Vegas that was from, and he made all these poker chips from all these casinos. And it was beyond like it, it, it built, came out on wings and it was worth like a half a million dollars. It was crazy, this thing. And yeah. it had all these secret compartments and he was just the way he was like guys who knew him. If you ever get a chance to talk to guys, you know, I'm like, I knew who good. And it was, it was wild, but he could figure things out. But so he, he put those power poles all, all along along that whole thing and then he just he, he just put a roof on it built a roof on it no and the bulls how how he would the bulls he had a little pen down in the corner there was three bucking shoots it was all left-hand delivery there was no right-hand delivery and he had a little uh he had a, just a pen back in the corner and 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 he had the bulls penned up and it was a, a, a runway up to the top and that's where your kind of your dressing room stuff was up there and there was a pens out the side, like cattle pens out the side of the, of the arena. So he would run these bulls in the arena and he would chase them down that alleyway and pen them down in there and load them out of that corner. Wow. And it, yeah. It was, yeah, it was, it was something. And you know, that was, that was old school. <laughs> and, we, and, and I'll tell you, 
the, the funny thing, we would get on, like, it'd be 30. He, he, so we bucked out there every, I think it was Sundays and Wednesdays, something like that. Anyways, and I mean, it was 30, 40 below, and we would get on, and he'd have a, one of them uh, big old uh, uh, furnaces going with the, uh, like, a uh, diesel furnace, like you see on the side of football games. Remember the big long yeah. kind of? And you, <laughs> it was, you'd get your rope on and, and you'd be getting on these great big freaky things. Nobody had ever even seen and they'd never even been to town and, and you'd hold your glove in front of that heater and get it warm up. You'd run over there and jump on and get on. And yeah, it was, it was wild. I've heard so many stories about it, but never like never had the picture painted of what the heck it looked like or how it was even physically possible to have yeah. an underground arena. You'll learn yeah. real fast if you want to ride bulls and that something like that. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and we, you know, we fought bulls for each other, and there were some guys who Dale Vine, you know, Keenan's dad, asked, you know, he's he's a good one. Ask Jointless. I mean, that's where, and and all those nicknames, like Dale Vine's nickname is Jointless. That came from from Hoot Dale Rose, and he called really? Mark, yeah, because he said Jointless, you ride like you got no joints. You're all <laughs> stiff, so he called him Jointless, <laughs> and he he called Marvin Dark. Dirk kind of walked with his toes out. He said. Marvin, you walk like a duck. We'll call you duck. So he was duck and he's been duck forever. Oh, yeah. that's so, awesome. That's yeah, good stuff. He, he had nicknames for everybody. It was pretty good. What Who? What other nicknames come out of there? I, I'm curious now. Oh, geez. I, what was uh, your nickname? I, he, I was too, I was younger than those guys. You know, mm-hmm. those guys were a little bit older and I don't, I, who never did give me a nickname that I can ever remember. He always just called me code. Code? Code. He, he had this, <laughs> the way he'd talk and he'd, he'd, like he'd say, like Kevin Rockabar, he'd say, Kevy. Like he, <laughs> he had this, it was just, he was priceless. Like we huh. laugh, like Rockabar and I, we still, you know, we still talk and we joke about Dale Rose to this day all the time. And, you know, it's funny. Really? Like he was a legend. Ken, and is Dale Rose the guy that, like, didn't he ride with like a, like a feather vest and had it, usually had a, like, do they call him Hoot because he had a, had a, a cigarette hanging out of his mouth or cigar. a cigar yeah you r- ride with a cigar all the time yeah <laughs> that was he was the... yeah he he got on and i remember he got on i think a bull's name was devil's head that time at uh at calgary and he had this big cigar and he made him pretty made him swallow that cigar and he <laughs> so he rode pretty good you know he was yeah he he rode good i think he made the cfr one or two times so the the cigar was not quite the precursor to the mouth guard <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was uh, yeah he was some of the crazy stuff he did man it was it was good times okay so now let's get into some like further along in the career so we're uh um 15 when the cca first cfr must have been pretty early on for you to make nine and have the record of nine qualification or you tied donnie joe is that right or what was how how'd I, that work I think I, you know, I don't, I think so. Look like or, or no, I think, guy, I think I was nine and he might've been eight, but anyways, okay, yeah. the, the first year I made, it was 82. So I got my card in 1980 and then had a, you know, uh, you know, it's my rookie year. And then D- I rode you though. I went to 104 rodeos my rookie year. Like oh, I wow. went all over the place. I went like Dale Johansson. And I went to Oklahoma city in the fall and yeah. like we rode you pretty hard. And then in uh, 81, um, I things started I kind of didn't have a very good year. And that was that year, those Eastern Canadian rodeos. We went to oh, uh, yeah. PEI, Donnie Charlottetown, um, yeah. uh, Moncton, Charlottetown, St. John's and Moncton. Yeah. 
And uh, that's where it started clicking for me. That was it. Bob Robertson still tells this story. And I had a bull of North, Northcott's back and I'd been having hell. I wasn't riding very good. And I, I rode, I rode really good in the CCA when I was a kid, you know, a couple of years before that. And I, uh, I had convoy of Northcott's and he, and Robertson still talks about it. He said he, and convoy, he, he was good. He'd go out there a couple and he kind of back up about two, three feet and just get it to the left. And, and he went out there too, and he backed up and he pulled me down and Robertson said, and I just sat up and, and got around there. And he said, and the light turned on and he said, man, and away you went. And he said, and you never looked back. And he really? said that, yeah. And I, and Robertson and I, he still talks about that. I, I can remember that. It was, <laughs> that was pretty cool. And then things really started rolling after that. That was, so that was 82 or no, that was 81. And then 82, I, uh, I, yeah, that was 1981, the fall of 81. And then 82, uh, when I cried, when I started going, I went and I worked that winter. And then I, I started going in this, in the, went to, went to winter roadies. I started at El Paso and I won a bunch at El Paso and I won some at San Antonio. And, uh, and then it just started rolling. I ended up winning the season leader up here that year. And I end up 19th in the world, I think. Um, I in 82. Yeah. In 82. So I, I went, they, they had a deal at the NFR, um, called the Heston challenge. I think it was, and it was for the guys from 16th to 20th that didn't make it. And we you'd get on, it was a two header kind of a, it was a Wrangler, it was a Wrangler bullfight deal and a bull riding deal. And so I think I ended up second at that deal. And then, then I just, then things really started rolling after that. Well, cause 83, you win the whole thing the yeah. next year, only your third year with the card really. Right. Yeah. Fourth. Well, 80, 81, 80. So that was my fourth year. Yeah. So, so, but showing up there, you hadn't made the finals yet. You, it's yeah. your first NFR and you win the whole thing before you win Canada, which is kind of in the wrong order, <laughs> technically, right? Yeah. A little bass backwards there. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't probably the way it was supposed to be, but yeah, no, you know, when we, uh, you know, that was, that was a great year. 83. I, Kevin Rockabar and I started, you know, we, we worked out all, you know, for a couple of months before and we'd been playing a bunch of racquetball and, and a lot of racquetball. And that was another good sport for your, you know, that was the stuff it's not even around anymore, you know, and for your, for your, uh, you know, just being quick and, and being, you know, for speed and stuff. Right. And hand so, eye. And it's yeah, a lot, and it, it's a lot of work when you're playing a lot of racquetball. Like you, mm-hmm. I, I remember sweating through my entire hat brim one time playing, yeah. playing racquetball. Like you can really, you can really sweat. It's, a, little it's, bit it's a fun sport. Yeah. It's great. And I had a, I had a cousin, uh, Wes Reinhauer was a Canadian champion, uh, racquetball player. Like he was really good out of oh. medicine. Act. So anyways, um, yeah. And we, but, and we, we went to the boxing club, a bunch rock bar and I, and man, we, we cracked out and started at Denver and I won rock bar won it. I think I won third and, uh, man, we just rolled like, and, and, uh, after the winter rodeos was over, Kevin was winning the world and I was third. So in 83. Yeah. And we grew up together and our dads rode together. Like Kevin's dad was Rocky Rockabar, you know, he's a, Oh yeah. Famer and, you know, so we grew up together and, uh, yeah, so it was, uh, it was a great winter. And then, uh, Kevin kind of got hurt early in the spring a little bit. And I started rodeoing with Dan Lowry and I had yeah. this run figured out and, and Slewater and I hadn't rodeoed together and I had this run figured out, um, it was a little bit long. So we went, I, I called Slew and asked him if he wanted to 
wanted to start get rodeoing and he says absolutely so we we started going and uh we hooked up at den or at uh, edmonton at the super rodeo and i uh, i think i won second at super rodeo and we drove 63 hours Holy from dude. edmonton to west palm beach florida <laughs> and, and that's got to be like march too right so you probably yeah that was right after seven, super rodeo yeah, six or seven snowstorms on the way down too it was long. I can remember we got to St. Louis, we were halfway and man, it was, we were only halfway and we'd been going, we'd been driving for, it seemed like forever, two days already. But anyways, we went, we, we got down there and there was two bulls in the whole pen of, uh, of, um, what was that stock country? Anyways, he had, uh, uh, 604 and 711 were the two bulls. And that's the two that we drew the only two that we knew. And <laughs> we drove all the way down there and this bull I had had never been rode. Um, or 690, I think was his number. And he went to the NFR three or four times, but I was the first guy to ride him down there at West Palm beach. And then, uh, we Hopefully went from there won. to what, pardon me. Hopefully you won the rodeo. Yeah. I, yeah. I won it by quite a bit, but I, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> so there, and then we drove to Shreveport, Louisiana to La Crosse, Wisconsin to Chicago, Illinois and back home. Wow. Nice. What a rip. So, that's how, and, and that's, and that was just the start. And then it was just, we just, we started driving, man. That's Jeez. what you did back then. So that was you and Dan. And then yeah. did you guys pick up Dale later in the year when you all three were making it? Or when did you guys get hooked up with Dale? Well, Dale and I rodeoed our rookie years together quite a bit. Um, 80, 81, and then kind of off and on. And then, you know, in, in 83, Dan and I rodeoed most of the year together. And then Dale just, you know, we hooked up and he started jumped in with us in the fall and stuff and we got rodeoing together um yeah and then you know it was just it was kind of dan and dale and i were the you know we were the three guys that that kind of won everything there for quite a few years did it help traveling with guys from home um going to all the rodeos oh absolutely you know because you know the thing was is you always you never forget home and mm -hmm. that you know then you know you, you got to make the cfr but i, I can remember i I had that goal, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta get the CFR made. And I had it made after the first four rodeos of the year. Like, so, cause you wanted to have that done so you could take that pressure off. So you didn't have to drive all the way home because you wanted to go to all them big, them great big U S rodeos. So it, yeah, it worked out pretty good. So just a note on that truck with between you and when you, when you and Dan and Dale were in the same truck, if you just count these, you know, the three of you and what you guys did over the years, I don't think there's any other truck of bull riders ever from Canada that we could even compare. That'd be close between the three of you. you got, you've got three, uh, uh, so you've got 10 NFR qualifications, right? Cause, cause Dan made it twice. Yeah. Dale made it four times. You made it four times. And then you won the world. Dale won the one Canada twice. Didn't he twice twice. Yeah. And, and then, uh, Dan, I don't know if he won. Can I don't have, I don't remember. Yeah, he, won it. he won it. Yeah. He won the Canadian in, uh, 87. 80. 88 I got it here. Maybe 88 was it? Guy was 87, you're 86, Sleepy 85, yeah. Daryl 90, right. Glenn Keeley 89. So yeah. I, I forgot forgot Dan, but but yeah, so so Dale's got two like I don't know how to compare that, but like but still 10 NFRs, that's right off right right there. It's the most successful truckable riders ever. It was it was pretty good and you know, and I'll tell you I, I watched Tufts that podcast he did the other night and he was talking about him and Jim and them guys and it there's a couple of years there, like in, in 83, when Dan Lowry and I showed up, we knew we were winning. There was two checks and everybody that was there knew that there was two checks that weren't available for them. 
Huh. Like it was, it was crazy. Like we, I mean, we very seldom got bucked off and we rode a, I mean, we rode a lot of good bulls everywhere we went and, you know, we rodeoed our asses off and, and, and we had a great year, both of us. Well, and, well that's, and that's like the golden era of bull riding essentially, right? Like some of the, like the legends competed over that era and you guys are right up near the top with them. Like that's, that's super cool. To, and, and beat them and win. And beat them. Yeah. And beat them. Exactly. Yeah. Like that's, you, that's a nice feather so in the cap. Even the year you won, Cody, you, you beat Lonnie Wyatt by looks like about 800 bucks is kind of the, or no, 1500 about. Yeah. About 15, 13 to 1500. Yeah. Yeah. And then Bobby Del Vecchio, you got Charlie Sampson, Ted Noose, Wacy Cathy. Yeah. You know that's that's eighty three. Then you go to eighty four, and uh, and Donnie Gay is in there, and you've got Lane Frost, Tuff Hedeman in in eighty five. Like, and this is the years you guys are going eighty. You know, it's, yeah. Uh, there's just then Jim not- showed up. Jim yeah. showed up. Clint Bronger. You know it. Yeah, there's a lot of tough. There, there's a Lambert. lot of guys that rode really good. <laughs> that's a tough that's tough yeah, yeah. yeah. Who else? I'm just looking yeah. through the media guide here, quick, and like. It's just the who's who of the sport. Tough Human wins the PRCA world title in 86. Lane Frost is right there in third behind him. Yeah. And then Lane, doesn't Lane win it? And yeah, Lane wins it in 87. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, was that your, that was your final trip to the NFR too, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that was that. I see, I, I broke my wrist up there at the CFR and didn't know it. And I was catfishing Wayne Golds in 87. So I, I think I, I went into, I was winning Canada. I went into the CFR, but that's when it was sudden death. Yeah. So I, I was winning Canada and I think I was fourth going into the NFR and, and really, and, and I'm, I'm t- like, I broke my wrist up the CFR, broke that little bone in there. And that, that skate toy does nasty. nobody knew it. And you know, when I talked to a doctor here, I went and got it looked at about six months ago. And we talked about how long ago that had been since the first time when I broke my right wrist was 1984. Wow. But when I broke that wrist in 87 and that doctor, he's, he's been around and for a long, long time. Like he's, and he said back then, nobody even knew what to do with it. Like they didn't even, you know, it was just, it was an injury that happened and they, they really didn't know how to handle it. And that was mine. They, you know, I had it x-rayed a couple of times. They missed it. Didn't see the thing was broken, but, but in 87, that, that year, I, I rode better. Like I rode, I rode 27 bulls in a row, bucked off one and rode 13 in a row after that. Wow. Like I was, like, I went through the whole, I, I rode better then than I, than I did in 83. And I, I'd learned a lot. I was, uh, you know, I was more patient and I just, I, I knew how to, I knew how to rodeo better in 87 than I did in 83. And <laughs> I had a great year. I, I, uh, yeah, I had a heck of a year in 87. I mean, it, and, and I still, and I think I rode five out of 10 at the NFR with a broken wrist. So, Jeez. Uh, you know, so that, that was, that was another really good year as well. And, and that was like, so you pull your card in, in 80, you're 18. So in 87, you're 27, like you're, te- you're in the prime career, prime of your career then really. Right. Like that's, that's when yeah. people are, are peaking and, and you break your wrist and, and it doesn't, you don't, you don't get back to the NFR after that. I guess it was really a detriment yeah. there really, wouldn't it? Yeah. And you know, and it, yeah, it's, you know, excuse, but it, I mean, I couldn't count how many bulls got my hand. I mean, I went for a couple of years, for years there and I couldn't hang on to my rope and then I couldn't lift, you know, and if, and it was goofy cause I'd, I'd ride when I'd be 90 and the next day I couldn't ride one to be 70. Hmm. It was just, it was, it was really weird how it, how it affected my riding. Uh, Josh, what was it? 
guy rode on the PBR Cushel. Um, out of New Mexico. Um, was it Josh Cashel or is that Colorado? No, Josh. I'll think of his name, but he he had a he did the same thing. He broke his wrist and he went through the same thing. And it was just and I got got at the end. I couldn't even hang on and jump my hand and just keep popping open. So, but you know, it was what it was. Um, we uh, do you want to go into the next part of it or should we talk about? I'm kind of thinking maybe we should talk about some of the highlights. But maybe what does the transition look like though after after you wreck your wrist and you and you can't can't hang on to your rope? What what happens next? Is that the end when you start thinking about bull busting or what? Where do we go from there? <clears throat> yeah, you know. So I uh, what was it? 1991. I went to the winter rodeos and my wrist was just fried and I I, but I was riding. I what you did. I was a bull rider and I you know and I I just. I know I never Good quit. I couldn't, I couldn't quit. You know, what are you going to do? Walk away. I felt great Yeah. working out and I was in great shape, but my wrist, you know, and my wrist, it, the weird thing with was it was always sore and stiff, but it never hurt. Right. So you just, you put up with it, you tape it and you, and you just go and you put up with it. And, um, but in then, I, so Dan and I entered Lowry and I, we were going to rekindle the fire and I called him. I says, let's go. I'm ready to, I'm ready to go. <laughs> And he was too. And so we go to the winter rodeos and Dan kicked ass and I got my ass kicked. I couldn't, you know, I just couldn't, I couldn't hang on to my rope. And I think he won one of the bull riders only events for 10,000 and then he won a bunch of Guthrie. And, and I actually, and that was what's so goofy. Like I rode all four. I, I went to Guthrie and Guthrie, the, to the, uh, Freckles Brown, I guess, whatever, I can't, whatever they called it back then. And, you know, it was a thousand dollar entries and however it was. And, and, uh, I rode all four bulls and won like third in the average. And then, and that was with my wrist broken. And then, then the next, it was weird. And then the next day I might couldn't ride one to be 60 again, just my hand would pop huh. out of my rope, but it was, Jeez. it was very frustrating. It was the fr most frustrating thing that you ever could ever go through in your life. But anyways, I, uh, um, then in, in 19, I believe it was 1991 or 90, 91, 92 1992 I went and seen Jay Pat Evans who was a good friend of mine and the Dallas Cowboys guy you know he started the sports medicine program and I went and seen Jay Pat in uh, Dallas and I said, man my wrist is just I mean this thing just just keeps on it's sore and it doesn't get any better and he gets digging around in there and he says you got a broken bone in there he says you got to try and get that thing fixed so I came back home um, drove back from Houston by myself. Dan stayed down there and I turned out of Houston and I came home and I got into a guy named Bob McMurtry who is, uh, he was a wrist. He was the wrist guy in Canada and, uh, nationally known. <clears throat> and it was right at the foothills hospital in Calgary. And he looked at it and he goes, this, this thing's a mess. And, um, it was a, it was a one hour surgery that, took like six like oh, when they got in there it was a mess the the two bones that are in your wrist one of them had dropped the two big bones one of them had dropped and it was just it for, from getting on all them bulls for all them years with that thing broken so anyways he fixed it and then i i'm like all right i'm fixed let's go <laughs> rodeoing <laughs> that didn't work very good <laughs> i <laughs> my wrist wouldn't bend, you know, and I, I got a part, it's partially fused, like the bone is partially fused together. And, and so it only bends about halfway. And 
so I entered the winter rodeos and I went to Denver and stuff and I rode one at Denver, pretty good one and won a little bit. And, and then I had a bull at uh, Fort Worth, 44 of uh, Hutzels, Big Ben's and he was the NFR bull and he just out there in two and he, he was pretty honky and he turned back to the right and slung me out of there and I landed on my shoulder and dislocated my shoulder. And uh, there was a, it worked out good as there was a doctor there in the seats watching the rodeo that afternoon and took me into the sports medicine room and he takes my, my arm and he gets my shoulder to pop back in. And I was with Glenn Keeley and uh, who else? I was with Glenn Keeley and somebody else. And I said, man, this was 1993. Take me to the airport. And I, I, I knew deep down I was done. That was, you know, I just, I was sick of it. I was sick of being hurt. I've been hurt quite a bit and just done. And I, I'd been, I'd met with Tough at Denver in, uh, in January. And I was, cause I was thinking that was right when the PBR was starting, just when it was getting rolling. And, you know, and I, my, it was in my mind and, you know, and I said to Rhonda, I got married in 1990. And, you know, so this is after we've been married for three, four years. And, you know, you knew that, bull riding wasn't going to last forever. And I, uh, you know, these bull riding deals, this is a great opportunity for me to, to stay involved in what I know. And, you know, they were just starting. And I knew if, if I sat around and waited, I'd never, I'd never get it. My, somebody else started doing them. I'd never get a chance. So we did our first bull riding in May 6th and 7th in the Corral in Calgary in 1993. And kind of the rest is history now. Was that a PBR event then? Yeah, it was. It was the first one. First one first ever. PBR. Yeah, we did it in the Corral oh, wow. in Calgary. We were the first ones ever to use pyro, and we were the first ones to use music. <clears throat> and we, uh, the pyro was a big deal. That was Jim Kamart, and he had uh, Unreal Effects. And so Pete. we were, you know, you always were trying to do something different. And, <laughs> and uh, we we spent way too much money, but we did it. We spent a bunch of money on on the speaker sound system we put in the old corral we put these speakers and subwoofers all up in all the corners because we wanted the sound really good and and uh and and jim did the pyro and uh it was cool ted noose won it wrote he was 90 rode uh wrote a little brindle i can't remember and round there round to the left wave his hand and buck like hell and and because of that pyro, nobody had ever seen it. And it's funny because we've got it on videos. We remember the old really? Snyder videos and that one. And, and Ted gets off and he wins and he throws his arms in the air. And Jim blows the pyro off out of the roof. And Ted ducks and dies. And thought he got <laughs> shot. Hilarious. Nobody had ever seen that stuff before. He didn't know what the hell was going on. No way. So he rode him. And Cody Lambert rode. He made his good one of the best rides I've ever seen him make on uh, um trick-or-treat in Northcott's he was 87 and trick-or-treat and he bucked right the ground there to the left and and uh it paid 10,000 to win it and uh you know and that was kind of the deal and then we started that was our first bull riding and and then we just started rolling you know the next year we had there in Edmonton and we got going in Winnipeg and we just started got the, the whole PBR deal that was our deal and got it started oh and Peter Peter Jabrad was was he there too in the first in the first year with Jim that was before that was before Peter. So Peter probably would have been about so that was 93. Peter would have been about 99. Okay. 2000 when he came around when we start we did the first Bud Light Cup okay. in Calgary for 3 years. So that was that was the which is now the 
the Unleash the Beast. It was the Bill Ford Tough Series at one time. But yeah, so we we did the it was a Bud Light Cup event in Calgary for three years. So Peter was okay. part of that. What was the reception like in Calgary? Like bringing the first ever like standalone bull riding event was people welcoming or it's always oh, hard with I, Calgary and Stampede, right? It, it was a big deal. You know, it was uh, the first one ever. And I can remember Dwayne Erickson writing. And I remember <laughs> in, in, in the paper, he says, get your tickets quick because they're all going to sell. I was like, ka-ching, ka-ching. This is <laughs> Yahoo. <laughs> we, we got her now and it, it didn't quite work like that. I mean, it, you know, we had a good crowd, like we were, you know, half, two thirds full and, and I'll never forget. And we spent, you know, we, we ran around and I went and raised a bunch of money from some guys who had money guys that I knew in medicine at some oil guys and stuff and a couple of big ranchers. And we went and rounded up. And so we made sure that we had enough money to back, get it back so that we, we could make sure that, that, you know, we could pay all of our bills. And that first one, we made 320 bucks. Oh, no way. <laughs> I worked my ass off, man. I went for, did all the sponsorship, all of that. And Rhonda sold the tickets. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, and we were new. I mean, I, I had this first bull ride I'd ever put on, but I, I knew what I wanted. I had a pretty good idea of the components that we wanted. And, and Rhonda had a marketing company with my aunt down in Medicine Hat. So she, she knew how to, she knew advertising and she knew. So it was, a, it was a great thing. So she, you know, she knew what she was doing and I kind of knew a little bit of what, how I was doing and, and and you know what it was funny joe braniff announced that thing yeah and he's announced every bull ride we've had huh. it's it's great from the from the very first one in 1993 yeah it's yeah yeah i gotta ask quick quick who is your music guy was it john was it john volt no was it was guy? chuck chuck lopeman no no uh chuck he was the sound guy at the ranchman's <laughs> oh really Man, <laughs> nobody does sound no, nobody knew how to, I you know, thing yet, was it it was still live no, bands we, a lot of places wasn't it we were the first i, I didn't you know I, how do you how do you hook into all these speakers and stuff jim Kamart was a big part of that stuff he was a he was a big help with us in that really? first year oh absolutely jim, how did jim know it well just because he'd been around the entertainment business and he knew enough stuff and you know jimmy was you know he jim was into that kind of stuff you know he was into the pyro and into the sound and yeah he, he helped a lot um huh. chuck gosh what's um he was famous he he did the sound at the ranchman's forever um he didn't do I'll the rodeo. His name after we're done but anyways he brought in and you know i said how are we going to do this and you know how are you going to change the music and i told him i want it's all rock music like i want yeah. you know so he's country guy at the ranchman's kind of and he had his whole <laughs> And he was an old rock and roller and had kind of long hair and he had all these AC, DC and all this stuff. And he had this little uh, square kind of, um, I guess, Ted, you know, I mean, and, you know, it had it all a mixer, the mixing table or a mixer? Yeah, kind of a mixing, yeah, mixing. table and that. And that's, yeah. he wheels that into the, into the, uh, into the, the corral and, and, and had it in the, uh, in the player's box. And that's where he was and Pyro was there. Like we're, this is, we started, this is the first time this had ever gone on. So you had Chuck's there and Jim's doing the Pyro and he's shooting the Pyro from right beside him. And they would talk about music and Rhonda would work with them and, and Joe would work with them. And we just, we just made it happen. Huh. That's it was, awesome. It was cool. Was, was you, it hard to get other cities on board after Calgary? Like one, like Winnipeg, you say, and all those other, was it hard to like sell them on, on the idea? Yeah. Let, I'll tell you how that went down. So we, we did that first year and you know, and, pretty good idea we knew we we're you know we we were on to something pretty good um so that we was 93 
right? What's that? This is 93. 93, you this have is the 94 now. So we did that in the spring now. of 93. May of 93. And, yeah. And then, so, you know, and it was a year till the next year in May of 1994. So after, after that bull riding in 93, we got approached by Edmonton Northlands doing the CFR. Mm. Ken Knowles and those guys up there. So um, they called me and, <clears throat> excuse me, and so they were interested in doing a bull riding event. You know, like, let's try it in Edmonton. We're do they're doing the CFR in the fall. So let's, um, I, I think, wrote, I, I think that uh, Super Rodeo wasn't going anymore then. It, they weren't having any success with it. So we get together with them and Rhonda and I go up and meet with them up there. And we did a partnership with Edmonton Northlands. And it was Cody Snyder bull busting. So there, now we had, now we had Edmonton and Calgary and Edmonton. We got the two biggest cities. So now we're, we're ready to really kick some ass. So we, we get in, so it, it was cool. So, uh, you know, they were, I think we might've did Edmonton. It was, you know, a few weeks or a month before or after, after the, the Calgary event, but Edmonton, we absolutely sold that place. I was in the Agricom. We sold that place out. We turned people away. They were hanging off the rafters, man. It was so cool. And I mean, I think Troy Dunn won it and we had, there was a bunch of nineties and, you know, and then, then that year, that's where Scott Brading was 97 in, in Calgary at our bull riding in 1994. That's when Brading was 97 on uh, sugar Ray. Yeah, yeah. That was awesome. I had that on video. Yeah. So, so that was the cool. And then, you know, so yeah, there, we, then it was all about building the bull riding business and, you know, it was sponsorship and it was all new. Like nobody done it before we were first. Mm -hmm. I mean, heck, you know how you, you got to get sponsors and you got to, we just, we had to figure it out and that's what we did. So early on in the PBR, it's 93. They all put their thousand dollars in, in 92. Is that right? Or, or when did they start that actually? Anyway. 91, 92. I sat in the meeting in Calgary and didn't write the check. That was at the crossroads, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. We, we, we sat in a room at the crossroads and tough and, and Sam Applebaum was in there and Jim was in there sharp. And, and I was hurt. I was done. I, I was judging the Calgary stampede. I think I was going to make $1,100 for judging the Calgary stampede or something. Then it was, they wanted to check for a thousand bucks for this. And I'm like, there is no, I just, there is no way this is going to work. I'm like, you know, tough. And they, they had the plan and, and, and Dan Lowry didn't write the check. He was there. He didn't write it. And anyways, so that was a little bit of about a $4 million haircut, I guess. If we stayed in there for <laughs> thousand bucks. But if ifs and buts was fruits and nuts, you know, it would have been a hell of a Christmas. But anyways, it, uh, it, it sure turned out to be something it's, you know, and proud of like what them guys did, man. And, you know, Lambert and I have talked about it. I talked to tough quite often and, you know, it was just the right dynamic and the right thing, you know, to pull that thing and make that work. And it was really cool. Well, it, it, opened, it opened the door for you though, right? Like you didn't like essentially lose out. Maybe like, I think it's no, that, you know, opened the door for you to start what you did. Right. So, yeah, you know, that's right. Like I, I, you know, I can never look back. I mean, we've, we're still putting on bull riding events. We put on piles of bull riding events, you know, all over. And we've had a lot of great success and had a lot of fun and built a great business and raised a family around it. And, and uh, no, it, it, it's, it's been really good. And I, you know, I, I still love it. it it's great. You know, putting on bull rides is, 
it's still your passion. You never lose it. Right. I mean, I, Christ, I grew up dreaming of being a cowboy. I can't even, I can't even remember a day that I didn't think I was going to be a cowboy in rodeo and, you know, to still be able to be involved in it is, 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 is something. What was Sam Applebaum the first kind of like CEO on the PBR yeah. Side thing? Yeah, yeah. You know, so we, um, who was I talking to? Oh, Clint Bronger and I were talking the other day cause Clint was in there and, and we were laughing about it because we were talking about that stupid meeting when I didn't write the check and Clinton anyways. And, and they were talking about it and well, who's going to run this thing. And Sam, like, well, Sam goes, yeah, like, yeah, you know, I can, I can take a run at it. I'll try to see what I can do with it. And you know, and tough, tough was tough. I mean, he's going to make it happen. I mean, he's, he's why it started. I mean, he was the, he was a driving massive major driving force behind it. And yeah, they, they made it work. Um, so that first meeting happened in Calgary. How'd you guys, like, how'd they get it together? What happened there? You know, they, they, I remember they had some, they had some, uh, like contract deals where you, uh, you, you signed this contract, you wrote a check for a thousand bucks huh. and it was just, it was a founder's thing. And they want, they were looking for 20 or 25 guys just to get, you know, 20,000, 25,000 bucks together just to have some money to get started. So they had some operating capital, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Guys threw them checks in and they put it in the bank and made a lot of good decisions. I, I kind of want to jump back into, to some of the career stuff and like rodeoing with like Lane Frost and those kind of guys. Like what, what, what was the impact when, like, when he passed away? Like, like I, I'm like Lane Frost is the reason I wanted to be a bull rider. I grew up like in the yeah. eight area <clears throat> era and like being in, from your point of view, like, like being going through that, like, what was it like? You know, I, I remember vividly the first time I ever seen or met Lane we were at a rodeo in, I think it was Indianapolis in 1983. I think it was 83 and I was winning the world or second. And, and this kid, we'd heard about this kid from Oklahoma that was pretty good. And he, well, Lane and I are the same age, tough. We're all, we're all born in, in 1963. And uh, um, Lane showed up there and he was a hot dog, good looking kid, <laughs> had kind of long hair and, he, he kind of, he had his shit going on. He was, he was, he was the stuff, man. And, and he was, he just turned 18. And so, um, that was one of his first rodeos, I think. I mean, I had never seen him, just heard of him about him a little bit, heard about him that he won a bunch in high school and stuff. And, and then, uh, I think the lane, the first year he made the NFR was 84. So that was 83. So he'd made the, he'd made the NFR the next year in, in, uh, 1984. And then, then Lane went on and, you know, and we, we were really good friends. I mean, I was great friends with Lane. I've still got two of Lane's bull ropes actually out here in my shop that he gave me. Oh, wow. And ropes that, that, that guy at Oklahoma made. Yeah. I gotta, I'm, I gotta get a hold of his family and get them to him. But uh, he gave me, cause them ropes that Lane rode with, he, they, they were kind of a legendary that, that, you know, your hand, they had no riser and your hand would hang in there. And you, man, if you hung up with one of them things, <laughs> you didn't come loose. They were kind of bad news and, so he says, because my hand kept coming out of my rope all the time in, in 88 and, and then in, in spring of 89, that's when he gave him the year that he, that he got killed there in, in uh, was it Ardmore, Oklahoma? And, and, and he says, here, he says, you can't hang on your damn goddamn bull rope. He says, here, I got one you can hang on to. <laughs> Try this thing. So he gave me one of them ropes of his and I could hang on. And I, I actually, I wrote. I could ride pretty good, keep my hand in there, but I couldn't lift. I mean, it was defeating the purpose, but 
but uh, yeah, so he gave me a couple of them and I, 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 they were kind of, that was when I quit riding, that was the last ropes that I used because they, I could actually hang on with them. But, but then in, in, uh, and how I found out that, that deal with Lane was, um, I'd got hurt in 1989. Um, a, a bull, bull hit me and spread my pelvis. I got hurt. I got hurt pretty bad. And I, uh, at Williams Lake and I was at home, I couldn't rodeo and, and, uh, and Dan Lowry called me from Cheyenne and he was, I'll never forget it, man. He was tore up. He was, he was balling. He couldn't talk. And he, he told me that, that Lena got killed that afternoon and, the, and it was just like beyond belief, still beyond belief. I just can't even, you know, we were all, I mean, you know, it's, things are different now. Bull riding business is different now. Back then, man, we were all, we were tight. Like, I mean, them 15 guys in that dressing room with that, at the NFR back then, man, we were, we'd have, we'd have freaking died for each other, man. We'd fight for each other. Like we were, we were buddies, everybody. Like it was, it was a really tight knit group all of those years back then, you know, things have changed somewhat now. I think it's just, it's got more spread out and there's a lot more money involved in that, but it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, still to this day, the most devastating thing that's ever happened around my rodeo career that, you know, I just, I can't even imagine like what tough I, you know, I put myself in that. If you know, one of, you know, your buddies that you, that you rodeo with like, you know, like Dale, Dale and I and Dan and Rockabar and all them, you know, your buddies and you all kind of grew up together and your rodeo, I couldn't even imagine what the devastation that went through with that. So. Well, and you were like, that would have been the first time anybody, anybody that you, well, people you kn- knew would have died before, but it would have been like w- one of the first times one of your good friends passed away. Yeah. yeah. And, and a guy, and a guy who was like larger than life, like, you know, yeah, that's one of the, like, those like untouchable people that like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's crazy to think that like stuff like that, it's like, it really like humanizes the whole sport where it's like, it's real and there's real danger to it. Man. He was Elvis. Yeah. And I'm not making that. I mean, he was, Lane was, he was everything. Like he was cool. And, you know, and his dad, Clyde and his mom, Elsie, like I know those, you know, knew them, known them since I was young too. Like we were same age and, mm-hmm. you know, and his dad went to the NFR and rodeoed and, you know, rode bareback horses and stuff. And, you know, that family and they, they grew up around the rodeo business and he was such a, such a great guy. He was the first really good that, that, you know, like with kids and, 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 autographs and just he was such an outgoing cool he just he got it and I think his dad Clyde because Clyde was such a nice guy and is such a nice guy and and Lane's mom Elsie like them are them are some of the nicest people and they he was that's there was nothing phony about Lane man what he was the real deal he he never passed up an autograph said hi to you know he was always dressed really good and he just he was just the epitome of what a professional bull rider that's everybody looked up to lane. He was, he was the first really, you know, Del Vecchio was like that. Del Vecchio was pretty good too, but you know, lane was younger and just, you know, it was, it was a different era. He had the, he had the, it, he had the it factor. He had the it. Yeah. And you know, and he could ride and then, and you know, he could ride was the best looking guy in the room and <laughs> and he was just cool. He, he was and he was cool taller. Dude. He was taller than Donnie Gay. 
<laughs> so what was, yeah. what was the reception like from guys like you and eight seconds came out like was it were you was it kind of were you welcoming to that idea or like after you saw were you a bit disappointed in the depiction like really i'm interested to hear that too yeah you know when they were going to do that movie i i it was luke perry came to guthrie and we all met with luke perry that and that was right my wrist was kind of buggered up that was one of the last times i was probably at guthrie i suppose and Luke Perry came there and we all met him and I, I never end up being a part of the, the movie and stuff. Those guys kind of, you know, a lot of his, you know, tough and them guys all did that deal, but it, he, uh, um, I'm telling you the first time I watched it the first time and it just, I couldn't even finish it. I just, it was just because I knew all of the, you know, you just, you it know, wasn't you, the you way lived it was. It. And, it's your friends, it's you know, your and, friends. and they kind of made Lane's dad, Clyde looked not that good. So, but it was for pictures. And then, Wacy Kathy told me, and I told him, I said, man, I, I can't go with that movie. He says, I, he says, I was the exact same. He says, but he said, you just, I had to just think about it. That it's just a movie. So said, go watch it again. So I did. And it was, it was a great movie. You know, and I've watched it a couple of times and you know, I, once you understand what they're trying to do and what they're trying to portray, they did, they did a great, they did a good job of it. Well, it was such a, like, so impactful. Like for me, like, I my brother and I had that on VHS when we were kids. And we watched it so many times that it broke. Like that that movie, yeah. was, I wanted to be a bull rider. It was even like when Luke Perry passed away. Like that was hard for me because like that's so I associated yeah. with Lee Frost and it's 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 like yeah. Once you remove yourself from like that, like think of it as just a movie because you know this true story, right? And like obviously that's something we've learned over time. But yeah, yeah it's it's pretty cool what they like to have rodeo and bull riding in that mainstream like Hollywood Hollywood lights. Yeah. It. It, it kind of, it made the rodeo business and it couldn't have been a better time. You know, it was right in the PBR and stuff too. And the, you know, and it just kind of seemed to roll after that, like things, it was, it just, the timing was impeccable with that thing. And it, uh, yeah, it, 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 it's done. And it's, you know what, to this day, there's a lot of people still, they talk about yeah. like you, like they talk about, you know, eight seconds is what turned people into rodeo fans. Yeah. Man, that's, I get, I get chills. Like talking about that Lane Frost stuff, man, that's crazy. Yeah, um, it, it, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm the same. It, yeah, it just, it's, so, it's so cool. It's cool. Like, I've never really been able to have a conversation with somebody like who's like who lived through it, you know. And like I said, it's something that had like such a big impact and influence on my life. So it's really cool to hear it like right from the source. I wanted to know more about Tough and get on onto the uh, that side of it because you said he was the one that kind of made the PBR happen, and then. Was it like 2004 or five and he ended up on the outside of it? What, like, what do you, what do you know about the story there? What can you say about that? And and as far as knowing tough and still talking to him, you know, that's not me for me to, I, I know a lot and there's things that I, you know, that was their, their deal. It's just business, man. It, okay. You know, there, it got to be a lot of money around and it got his big business and tough's tough. There's a guy who lives by the sword, man. He's, it's the way he is. It's what you see is what you get. And, you know, some people might not like it, but he, 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 I never seen it get, you know, to this day, I've one of the all time greatest. I mean, that, there's nobody who tried harder ever in their whole life. And I mean, he, that dude could ride, rode everything. And, 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 you know, and he brought that same mentality over to that when they started the PBR and he, you know, he had ideas that, and you know, not everybody agrees. And and when it gets into big, it's big businesses, big money. And, so you, uh, you guys, you guys started the pyro side of things in the PBR. Like you were the first ones to do pyro music, and they did they 
did you end up going down there at all? Like, did they hire you to do some events there? Was the first time you got to the States on the bull riding side of things with the, like with the extreme bulls or what, what was the path that way? Well, let me tell you that the pyro side of things, Jim Kamart, they hired Jim Kamart to go down there and do his, do their Bud Light Cup events. Oh, really? So that was, yeah, they I, found out your events. Yeah. They, you know, they, 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 uh, they started using pyro down there after that, that, that was built off of us. We, we did the first one in 93 and then we, you know, we kept on doing it at our events and then Jim got hired. They, they seen what it was so cool. I mean, it was such a great component such a great added value to the, to these events. Nobody had ever seen it. And Jim was so creative and had such great ideas, you know, and he, uh, he brought such a, you know, a, a, a nice thing and such a good filler, you know, with the openings and all that stuff, we created all that fire and that, you know, and, 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 and then cannons coming off out of the roof. I mean, that started right here in Calgary in the corrals the first time that was ever done. And then they oh, yeah. started doing it and heck they're still probably doing it, you know, and, and so that was where the pyro side of things came from with Jim Kamart went down and started doing them down there. And then once they got onto it and there was pyro companies down there, you know, that, you know, they were doing Super Bowl and Jim had done Super Bowl and he'd done the, the great cup and he'd done some big events. You know, he'd been doing stuff for the NHL and um, you know, so there was guys in the U S and once they got onto it and he got, you know, once he showed them how to do it, they took his ideas and they did yeah. it themselves. <laughs> Well, because I, I always heard, I, I've heard the story before that, that Tommy Joe Lucia was the one that started the fire and the dirt, the pyro and all that. And it sounds like it might be bullshit. Yeah, Tommy Joe didn't. Tommy Joe is a great production guy, man. And, and stuff, but Jim Kamart, that's where that all came from. That's where the, the fire and the and the pyro and that all started from was was Unreal Effects and Jim Kamart. Huh. That's cool. Um, Let's go back to the, the career on the bull riding side of things. We, I got a, we got a couple questions. We've asked a couple guys before, like we talk to um you know rob bell and robert bowers and some of these guys donnie's, our, donnie's been on too and yeah some of our heroes from back in the day and like i'm i'm curious about one of your like most memorable rides from the past like what was the most memorable one and and then i gotta talk i gotta ask you about uh about confusion too because that's not one that i've ever seen a video of i don't know the story but time confusion for 95 which is the highest marked ride to still in canadian pro rodeo yeah so I, I, I got to ask about some of the, some of this stuff where I don't know where you want to start, but that you start and I'll talk. <laughs> okay. Let's start. Let's say confusion, 95 points. What, what's the story here? What was that ride like? Yeah, well, that was 83 and I was, I was pretty sticky. I mean, I, I hadn't been bucked off in a long time and, and, uh, you know, we got to the CFR, we'd been at the Cal Palace and I won, I think I won the Cal Palace, one first or second at the Cal Palace and, me and Dale and Dan and we'd all drove back. I think Jimmy Thickbinder's in there with us and stuff. Anyways, and we uh we got to the CFR and I was riding like I I was I was hard to get on the ground and and I remember that that was a Friday night rank pin and <clears throat> he was kind of the terror um, confusion. I mean he he was a bucking dude and and uh, heck I I I mean I I can remember clear as day right now getting on him but he. He just, he, he, he turned back to the right, right there. And I don't even know how in the hell I made it around the corner. I'm like, he was steep and he kicked and he bucked and he was kind of a little, kind of a bramer. And, and he just went around to the right. And, and, uh, I mean, he did and I, I can't remember riding him, but, and then I, I, I the cool thing I got off of him and 
and uh, they gave me a standing ovation. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it was like, so I guess people knew it was pretty good. And then, and, and, and it was packed. It was Friday night in there, you know, it was rank pen up at Edmonton. And then, then, then Tallman, Tallman was announcing, they announced my score and I get another standing ovation. <laughs> and, and this is no shit. I get it. And then I'm standing, I'm, I'm back at the shoots and everybody's just going berserk over this and sleepy. Greg Slosher says to me, walk out there. He said, give him another bow. And <laughs> I took my hat off and they stood up again. It was crazy. Like it was a big no deal. Way. I mean, I could, yeah, it, it was, it was, a, it was one of, you know, and it broke the record and all that stuff. And I can, yeah, it was, it was nuts. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was one of the, definitely one of the highlights of my career. It was, it was kind of a game changer as well, you know, to ride one that, is that juicy? That was the second time I'd been to the CFR and, you know, I'd want to, I won a couple of rounds up there in, in 82 when I was up there my first time, but I won yeah. that round. And then, but I rode all six and I ended up sleepy beat me. He, he rode four or five, but it was all on uh points, points. at the CFR and you had to draw good in the rounds. And I didn't draw good enough, but I rode all six that I got on. Huh? That, uh, okay. That really brought up, uh, another thought. So, you're talking about music in 93 at events when it started that way. I can't imagine there was any kind of music at the, at the CFR no. in 83, nothing, not even a live band. Like did they have a, no man, man, geez, you know, maybe, I don't know. Tallman really carried the show. I, I mean, you know, to. Tallman's Tallman. He's still the greatest yeah. ever. And I think it was Tallman and probably Bill Kaler, maybe something yeah. like that back then. It was, it was pretty cool. So, so my, my point did though, is, is where, when did black Betty come in to, when did that, when did that happen? Was that 93? Kelly Armstrong like, had something to do with that. Oh, Kelly did. Okay. <laughs> What's so. the story there? I, you know, I don't even know. They, they, because he introduced me at the start all the time. And I, I don't know. And I think, I think Martin, maybe Peter, maybe Peter had something to do with that. This is, you know, this is 10 years after I'd started, you know, yeah. into when we've been doing the events and, when they'd introduce me and I'd go up there, you know, at the start and they started doing that black Betty. And then, and you know, it's funny because Kelly Armstrong, every time I talk to him, he goes, Hey, black Betty. He still calls me that all the time. It kind of caught on. It was kind of funny. That's awesome. So, so going back to the career side of things, is that your most memorable ride is the confusion ride or are there a couple other ones or what, what jumps out at you? Is it one of like the first pro rodeos? Like Bowers had a, had a story about going to somewhere in California and drawing a little black, Brocco face bull, right? And we knew that was Wolfman. Then he rides mm -hmm. and wins his first pro rodeo. What, yeah. you know, what else jumps out at you on your career that way? Um, you know, it was good. I rode Panda at Metasnat in 83 and I was 92. That was my hometown rodeo. And that dude bucked. No, no, nobody was riding him. I, I rode him five times every time I got on him, but that was a real memorable ride. Um, I rode little Oscar at, uh, now and Jordan and I were talking about that here the other day. I rode little Oscar at, uh, San Jose in 83 and I was 90 on him there. Nobody had rode him, but, um, Oscar jr. Um, you know, I just, you know what, Ted, there, there's a, a lot of things. And I think back, you know, one of the highlights I got to, I rode for president Reagan and you know, a lot of people don't know that I, I met, I've met three us presidents, right. And I, no way. I, I met Reagan and I got, went to the white house in 1983 and, uh, it was called a special command performance. That's where Charlie Sampson got his face, got mucked out on kiss me that time. No way. And yeah. So that was one of the six, the top six guys in the world 
got invited and I was the only Canadian. It was, it, I was the only Canadian in the top six in any of the events. So I got to go and ride there and, and I got, had to get all this clearance and stuff. And I can remember my dad talking about it. He, he went to their post office in Redcliffe, get the mail. <laughs> There's this envelope in there from the president of the United States of America in the white house. <laughs> my dad talked about That's it. Cool. Like, what the hell is this? And he opened it up and it's a special invitation me to go to the white house this deal it was that was a real big highlight um wow you know so i got yeah that that was cool you know i didn't i didn't ride very good but got on s8 yeah anyways (laughs) but yeah there you know i i don't know you know as far as riding like i rode a14 that time in little rock i was 92 and a14 and nobody been riding him and i was like i was 90 18 times over my career so that was that was, you know, I, yeah, I rode, there's a lot of, a lot of good bulls over the years. What were the other two times you met the U S president? Houston at uh, extreme bulls. When we did extreme bulls, I met, uh, I met George Bush jr. And board George Bush senior. They came to the bull riding that night. So wow. met them down below. Yeah. So was, that was pretty cool. But the one with Reagan though, that was when we went to the white house after, and we had a barbecue and Casey Tibbs was there and no way. That's oh cool. yeah. Geez. Like it was, it was in all these secret service were all over the place and they're all hiding <laughs> behind bushes. And it was, it was, it was crazy. And you yeah, guys would have had to be on your best behavior at that. Yeah, it was, it, it was something It uh, yeah, so it definitely was something highlighted my career something I'll never forget for sure. It was, so it was a special command performance you're saying? Like it was a, like, was it part of the inauguration or what, what was, what no, was it was, I'll tell you a guy named Malcolm Baldridge was with the PRCA and, and Malcolm was a, a kind of a cowboy team rope sum and stuff. And I think Malcolm was a secretary of state and he'd oh, set wow. this deal up with the PRCA just, and it was to really try to promote the sport of rodeo. And he, you know, he, he talked and, and got Reagan and, and, and the U S government to agree to do this. So they called it the command performance. And it was in the Capitol center in Landover, Maryland, where the oh. Washington Capitals played. Cool. Wow. So we went there and it was all invitation only. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, and I'll, and I'll never forget. It was, it was cool. Cause we, we were standing on the back of the buck and shoots and we seen Reagan coming in behind right, right behind us up the alley. And all of a sudden he was out in the arena. Like it was really weird how he got there. It was, it was, yeah. They, they and you couldn't, they took, they went through our Reagan bags and they took all of our, we had, you know, knives to scrape bras and off and wire brushes. We couldn't take none of that stuff in the arena. We had to leave it all out. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, they were really strict. It was pretty cool. Wow. Um, okay. I've got a, I've got another question. I, I was doing, I made a bunch of phone calls, did a bunch of research today and I got a couple, I got a couple things. Is it true that you changed the spelling of your last name so it would fit on a world champion buckle? Is that true or is that bullshit too? No. That's a good story. <laughs> <laughs> that, I got some bad info on that. I think I've heard that a couple of times though. And it sounds, it's sounds like major bullshit, but I don't know. I don't know your parents. I don't, I don't know who they are. So it's total. I'll give you the straight goods on that. So the real spelling, the way my mom and dad are, our spelling of our name is S C H N E I D E R. So it's big and it's long. So my dad rode Bronx and he's got this great big trophy and it's still at mom's house. And it's the center of the trophy cupboard. And, it's called, it was the Western Wyoming Saddle Bronc Champion, 1952, Morris Snyder. And it had, was spelled S-N-Y-D-E-R on there. Hmm. And when I was a little kid, I thought, 
that's I like the spelling that way better than the other way. And I always thought, man, if I win a, a buckle, they wouldn't even be able to put that whole SCH thing on a buckle. So I'm like, I like that way. So this is honest to God, grade three. I started in grade three at Harold School and I just started spelling with S-N-Y-D-E-R in school. And mm-hmm. they switched over. Nobody asked. And mom and dad <laughs> paid for everything and their name was S-C-H-N-E-I-D and I was S-N-Y-D-E-R all the way, all the way through school. And it was crazy. Even my driver's license, everything. Like, and I didn't even have a birth certificate. My birth certificate was SCH. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And then, then after I won the world, I, I had to get it all done legally. Cause there was a, like, you know, I had some other stuff going on. I, you know, I bought some property. I did some things that kind of was like the lawyer kind of said to me, you like, you got to get this done legally. So we had to do it legally then. But anyways, that's the real wow. story. So no way. <laughs> Well, it's, uh, I guess it's not too far. It's not, not really what happened, but I, yeah, interesting. I didn't know that. And the, the person that we, I won't tell you who it was, but the person that, that told me about it, they didn't even spell the old spelling right. So it might be a clue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Then the other one, I, I was calling around, I talked to different people and there, there was a story about a, about a milkshake in Milk River where uh, <laughs> you were traveling with Dale and Dan. I'll let you, I'll let you take it from here. No, that that was with Sleepy. That was in oh, uh, okay. Nant, that was in Nanton at that little uh, that sweet, little burger sweet joint. Queen. What's that? Sweet Queen. That sounds about right. It's right yeah. on Main Street. Yeah, there. I, yeah. Yeah, we're kind of cocky and bull riders. And, yeah, so 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 we're at the little burger joint, and I, I said I want the thickest milkshake you can possibly make. So I they hand me this milkshake and hand Sleepy a burger and whatever, and I go to sucking on this milkshake, and there's all these everybody's standing over in the in the burger joint there looking at me and i'm stuck <laughs> on the stupid milkshake and i can't get nothing out of it and i take the top off and they tied a knot in the straw <laughs> they were all laughing their asses off at me it was pretty funny yeah. oh man okay and then so there's another one here um how that how you're uh at one point you were you mentioned you were judging the calgary stampede and it uh allegedly you're you are still uh, on strike from judging since uh since your last judging work <laughs> yeah true story so what were you so, striking for um, yeah so <clears throat> so i was judging rodeos after i quit ro- quit rodeo and you know and i was one putting on bull riding and i was a judge judge that's what i was doing through the summer and you know kind of heck i didn't really know how to do anything else so um i started judging and they got hire me everywhere and you know and i i i, I could judge I can, I, you know, I, I, I knew what good horses were and good. And I timed it. I don't know what you meant. So I've, I've been on Bronx and bareback horse and bulls, but anyways, I, uh, I've been selected to judge all three events at the CFR a couple years in a row. And I was judging Calgary and everything. And everybody was, you know, all the time leading up, we'd have these, these, these judging clinics in the spring. And all the talk was every time was how much we're getting paid. How come we're only getting paid the same amount as we can get paid the same amount for 10 years. And I'm sitting there and I said, well, why don't we do something about it? Well, what are we going to do? And I says, well, we want to get more money. I guess we go on strike. We'll make them pay us. So, well, then, so I kind of, I was the ringleader and I stood up. I said, this is the way, this is how we need to do it. And it's kind of like, if you cross a picket line, I guess you get your arm broke. I mean, that's, you know, how they do it in with a union or however. So we, uh, 
Bob Phipps and I, like everybody went on strike and we said, you know, the first row, like you can't cross a picket line. This is like, a, how, how else are we ever going to get? And it was only for like $10 of performance. It wasn't a bunch. And we had a, a formula, it was $10 of performance sent over. It was working up 25 more perf, you know, so it was 75, you know, you're going to make, make $100 more uh, a rodeo or whatever, and a little bit more mileage and that kind of stuff. And came to the first rodeo and a couple of guys crossed the picket line and they went back and Bob Phipps and I, we never went back and Flipper and I, we, uh, you know, last Bob's uh, inauguration at, at when they put him in the hall of fame there a couple of years ago, and we talked about it. We're still on strike. I never went back. I, said, you know, <laughs> I told you, I, I said, how do I, how do I go against my word? I mean, I couldn't afford it. I was judging rodeos for a living. I kind of needed, you know, I didn't have anything else to replace that. And I, but I said, I can't, I, I'm, I'm a guy of my word. And I mean, guys who know me, I mean, that's kind of how it is. If I say I'm going to do something, I stuck with it. And Flipper and I, here we are, we're Jesus. I don't know. 27 years later and we're still on strike being the longest strike in history. <laughs> is that, is that when you had to go back and, uh, and go back to the pipeline and then you were a, you were a transportation transportation coordinator for a while. Was that after your judging career had to change, uh, change yeah, on the movies. I, I worked on the movies, uh, when we moved up, uh, up here in 1993, I worked on, I probably worked on, I don't know, 15 or 20 pitchers over the years so, okay, for John Scott and stuff. So, oh, cool. yeah. uh, so when you come back to Calgary to do the TV stuff, do you just kind of walk into the arena? Just like, Hey, what's up everybody? I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, so that was, uh, <clears throat> there was no TV, but you know, until that was 1997. Um, and Spruce Meadows, um, approached the stampede about getting that thing televised because they had a connection with Spruce Meadows to ESPN. And uh, so Ian Allison had called me and, and me and JP Beach did it that first first year for 10 days. We did the whole Calgary stampede and it was, but I'm telling you, like, you guys have no idea how much things have changed because in 1997 and 1998, kind of 1999, we would get, we would, we would get done the rodeo and the rodeo, they would package it, cut it, we would have to go out to Spruce Meadows each night at about seven o'clock and they had to format it all and put it and they had to get it and drive it to CFCN TV up on the hill what? and that's, and then send it down the line to get it to ESPN. No Jesus. way. And yeah. Oh yeah. Like this was crazy. Like we were under, we were under, like you couldn't make mistakes. Like you had to, we had to get it. It was like, we were doing it live. Like we had to just had to roll and then, we got two minutes left and they're just whacking things together. And then they, somebody jump in the car is sitting out at the, at the front of the door at, at the studio at Spruce Meadows. And they're just hauling ass to CFCN because <laughs> it's got to get there. Cause if it's late, it doesn't make it. And yeah. it went like that for men, for quite a few years. And then, you know, TV as, as things has gotten, I've been a part of that. You know, I was, you know, I did TV there for, I don't know, like, geez, probably 20 years. And yeah, things, things changed uh, dramatically over the years where they could actually cut it. And then it was, you know, being satellited out of there, but there was no satellite and all of this stuff in, you know, the, the late nineties, early two thousands like that. Dang. When, when did, uh, when did they bring, uh, like, what was the, what was it like when somebody came to you and asked if you, uh, had makeup for TV or did that conversation ever come up? I know that was a funny <laughs> thing I heard. Yeah. you you know, and I, I never knew anything about it. You know where I started doing that? Jeff Matters. When I started working, when I did that whole, in 2003, I did the, 
for uh, the OLN for uh, for winter calm in uh, Oklahoma. I did the winter tour. Yeah. And uh, so matters. I'm, I was working with matters and he had to wear makeup. So he taught me how to wear. He taught me how to put it on. Taught me how how to do <laughs> makeup. So that's where that all started. And then you get you know it's just you know everybody you've used powder and and I got around. I've been around Russ Peak and a bunch of them old you know and you know the old guys around CFCN and I did lots of TV around them guys and I kind of seen how they did it. Yeah. Oh yeah. So. Probably a bit of a, a bit of a shock when you first probably hear it though. I can imagine <laughs> yeah. makeup. Yeah. Yeah. That, that wasn't what you were supposed to be doing, but, but then yeah. Yeah. Anyways, you know, Donnie gay, Donnie's legendary for that. You know, he's, if he don't get his makeup, he's got to have it right. And, but anyways, that's, you know, Ellie, you know, and some of them like the Calgary stampede when, you know, they had makeup artists come in and do our makeup for us for years there at the stampede. No way. For a while. Oh yeah. Um, what's her name? Um, she there. She's famous. She's she's a got. A, she's been doing makeup around Calgary for like thirty years. Really. And uh, yeah. She, so they had a, a, a professional makeup artist who do your makeup in the morning before the perf. Yeah. That's Come and you're doing all your TV, and they touch you up and all of it. Yeah. All <laughs> right on. Um, yeah. Peter Peter uh, Brad told me about a story one time. I don't know where we were. Or what was going on? But uh, he mentioned uh, the day where you guys were in San Antonio and yeah. was it Chicago? Yeah. Was, was that right with the toughest cowboy and the extreme bulls? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I was doing the toughest cowboy series for TV and, uh, and, and we, we were producing the extreme bulls events. So the extreme bulls was Saturday afternoon in San Antonio and then <clears throat> that that night was was tough as cowboy and I needed to be there because I was one of the coaches and it was big you know it was a televised and on spike tv and all that stuff and the only way I could make it work was I had I hired a jet plane to fly us so <laughs> it wasn't cheap but so anyways Peter and Melinda they jumped in with us and with Rhonda and I and so Peter and Pete was doing the pyro at San Antonio for the extreme bulls Ron and I were producing it and Melinda came along and we got done the bull riding and we off the airport and jumped in this, jumped in this plane and flew up, <laughs> flew up to Chicago. And it was pretty cool. It was good. Yeah, it was fun. We've beaten Melinda and Ron and I, we've had a lot of fun together. So it was, it was kind of cool, but it, and I, I did it myself. I, I mean, tough as cowboy, they, they would, they didn't pay for it. And I'm, but I'm kind of my deal is, you know, I, I signed up and said that I would do, do this and how do I, do one and not do the other. So I figured out a way to make it work and it all worked out great. Was it how much less fun was it riding in the cheap seats back home from Chicago? The next <laughs> this is the yeah, I, I've flown in them. I've flown in planes and jets quite a bit. And it's uh, yeah, you kind of spoil yourself actually. It's, it's pretty cool. Oh, I bet. Um, okay. Uh, we're uh, Wacy. What else, what else have you got? I've got a couple more things, but I uh, want to let you have a couple here from what you got wrote down. Oh man, I wanted to ask about like Del Rio and stuff. You're one of the only few Canadians to win an event like that. What's it? What's it mean to have have that buckle on your belt? You know, at the time it was, <clears throat> you know, it was winning the average, winning the world, and winning Del Rio was it was the deal. And um, <clears throat> I'd been to Del Rio a couple of years before that. I got invited there, and I guess '82 was the first time, and then or '83 maybe '82, '83, and then in '84, and I. Uh, 
I rode S7 and that, and that other little Brinnell 04 of, of Baylor and won that thing. And it was at the time, that's, that was, it was right up there with winning the world. I mean, and it was all the best guys. Everybody was there, you know, and it was, uh, it was a hell of a pen of bulls. And it was, that was the original first, you know, and that's where I got ideas for my bull riding miss. That Del Rio deal, so that was Mac Altizer, right? And Mac was in, he had that music blast. He didn't have the pyro, but he was a big time music guy and he had big speakers going. And Del Rio was just so cool. You know, it was 114 degrees in the sun. And everybody's just rocking out and they're just drinking beer and upside down. And <laughs> girls all walking around with bathing suits on. It was just berserk. It was mm-hmm. so cool. And and then for us bull riders, it's the George Paul Memorial. And you know, and you know, this day George Paul is one of the greatest bull riders still that's ever walked the face of the earth. And you know, and I got to know George's family very good, Bobby Paul, his brothers and and his family and uh so it meant a lot to win that, you know, not only to get that buckle and have that buckle, but uh, to know that family. And, you know, and, and that was, you know, and I got to know Bobby and we talked about George and see, I mean, them was kind of, you know, like with Lane and Ted, like that, they've never, ever even come close to getting over that. Like he was, he was a rock star. George Paul was, he was the original, you know, before Lane and before Donnie and George Paul was, he was a rock star and, you know, John Dodds knew George really good. George stood up for John at his wedding, actually. And John and him were really good friends. And John and I talked quite a bit about George. I got to know who he was and all about him. He was he was a cool dude. The uh, Don, Donnie uh, Johansson won it in 78, and he still wears that buckle to this day. Yeah. He said he won like 6000 at the bull riding, and then that buckle is worth about the same or something. He said yeah. he won more at the George Paul than he won at the NFR, I think, if I remember yeah. story, right. Yeah, it, you know, it paid back in that day. I think I won eighty five hundred or nine thousand bucks. You know, that was a, that was you know, in early eighties. You know, like that was that was a hell of a paycheck. That was you know, before even to this day, like. Oh yeah. You know. And that was before Calgary paid fifty thousand. Before Houston paid oh, a yeah. big bonus. Like that was one of the biggest checks in the whole business. It sure was, you know, but that was right around when when Calgary won that fifty thousand. When they started paying that fifty thousand, I think Dale won it. I think it was eighty four. Was they yeah, won Calgary in 84 was the first year and won that 50 grand. And I, that was 1984. So that was the year that I won Del Real. But that was the first big paycheck, you know, kind of Del Real for us bull riders and bareback riders and bronc riders and other guys, you know, they, they never got a shot at that kind of money. But huh. yeah, I was uh, I was reading a story today and uh, it was from the like a, a Yorkton newspaper. It was really random to come across it. But I, I read up on uh, on on this piece. And it was talking about how the Yorkton rodeo was a hundred years old or something in the early eighties, I think. And they had an interview with you and Dan Lowry. And one of the things they mentioned was that, that you quit, quit school in, uh, in grade 11. So I was wondering if you finished high school, did you like, do you have a high school degree that way? Or, or did you finish like quit and go right to riding? Like, was that what happened? I wasn't sure. Yeah, that was, I, <laughs> <laughs> That was a bad one. I so I when I made that CCA finals, so that was in November, you know, two weeks before the CFR, late October. And I was good in school, you know, and I I mean I always showed up and I did whatever. And I had this, I had this uh social studies teacher. His name was Nick Omatomi. And he told me, he said, if you go to that rodeo, 
up there because they he, they knew it was kind of a big deal through Hat High, the high school, and I made this big rodeo finals. He says, if you go to that rodeo, he says, I'm gonna flunk you. Really? He says, I'm yeah. He says, I'm not giving you a pass for you take you take five days off. He says, I'm you ain't. So I'm like, well, whatever. So I went up there and I won that thing, and I came back and him and me had a really good argument and and my 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 old boxing days just about come out and I, <laughs> I said dude I'm done yeah so I walked out and I was pissed off and I left and I went and got a job on a, my dad got me on the rigs and I started working and I went and made made some money and started rodeoing yeah but I, I... I guess my, my point is like, I was curious that way, but, but we don't need this formal education to, to be successful. You, you've shown that you can go and and have the drive and desire to go and be successful at what you want to do. You don't have to, don't have to go to school and go jump through the hoops. It's kind of a lot of it's bullshit anyways, when that guy's going to flunk you, cause you're going to go to a rodeo that you made more money yeah. at that weekend that he made in a whole month. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> yeah, but I was kind of, I'm, I'm the exception to the rule, you know, and I don't agree with Ted. I, I think, I think education, you know, and especially in this day and age is, you know, the best thing you can do. And I, I think back, you know, if, you know, college rodeo, I didn't even know about it, you know, and, and if I did, if I did knew college rodeo was as good as it was and, you know, I was, yeah, I was grade 11, you know, I did, if I did, if I knew that there was an opportunity, cause I rode good. I mean, I could have went to any school, like, you know, Burwash went, to uh bozeman you know montana state you know really? a couple of years before me and i i just really didn't know about it huh. if i did if i'd have had no more you know but i you know the, the education i you know johnny webb the bulldogger so he lives right down the road from me here and you know he he spent four years in the dub playing hockey a good hockey player and and him and i've talked about and and, and he says if there's one thing that i could tell guys man go get get an education like don't he that's what he wishes he did did it just makes things and it opens a lot of doors and makes things easier. And, and you miss, that's a big part of your life. Like I, 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 I see it and you know, and you hear some of these guys and these stories and, and people and, you know, they dropped out of college, you know, like, I think, I think like Bill Gates maybe didn't finish college and, and, and uh, you know, there's some guys, billionaires that didn't finish university or they dropped out of high school, but it's kind of the exception to the rule. I mean, I, th I think it's, you know, I, I've, I've got, a, I've actually got a, a degree from uh, Cornell university, Cornell university. Yeah. Like I, I've, I've done some online courses and I've, I've, I'm, I've, I've taken a bunch of courses and I've, I've done a bunch of outside education. So I've, you know, I try to like still to this day, like I, I will take some courses and try to learn things, you know, just to help, you know, with, with business and help, help with, with our whole, you know, our whole life to, you know, how can you help your business and, and, and make it better and be, be smarter. Can, Was there much of a high school rodeo scene when, like in Canada when you're growing up? Like would that have made a difference too? Or, you know, it was, there was another one. I, I went to, I went to the first one I went to was in Brooks. I entered all five events and uh, I got on a bull of in the bull riding of Bruce Sunstrom's called Jaws. And he was, he's a big old Brendan had great big horns. He's kind of a hooky son of a buck. And, and I can remember I, he bucked me off and hooked the shit out of me. <laughs> kind of hurt my ribs. And, and I was like, why would I, 
why would I pay? Cause you're having to pay five yeah. or 10 bucks to go get on. And I'm like, why would I pay that? And I've been winning. I've been going to all these amateur rodeos and I've been winning and kicking ass. And I'm like, I'm not going to pay to go get on. If I'm going to pay to get on, I'll go and pay at the practice pen when I know what I'm getting. I'm not going to give them five or 10 bucks. And so anyways, I made the, I made the provincial finals and I didn't go. I just wasn't my deal. I was going to them. I was doing really good in them CCA rodeos. And I was, I was rodeoing in four amateur associations. I think I was CCA, FCA. We were rodeoing in uh, NRA in Montana. And I had, uh, oh, and I had end the Schnook. So I was, I was rodeoing in four associations. I was mm-hmm. rodeoing my ass off anyway. So I didn't need really, wasn't really, it wasn't what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, going to, uh, let's go to, let's go to now and some of the stuff going on, right? right this year uh i think did i i think i saw somewhere where well tell us tell us what you're planning right now with with bull busting in 21 2021 what do you got for events on the go what are the plans where are you at with things right now well where we where we are and where we'd like to be ted are two different things um you know i don't look to me like we're going to be able to have an event again this year you know we couldn't last year and you know we're running out of time we're you know we're the first of april we got three months left and you know, we sponsorship and ticket sales and, and I just, it, you know, with this new variant coming, I just can't see things happening. It's going to be tough. Um, you know, and, and it's tough. It's, it's, it's a big decision, you know, to do business. Um, you know, these, these events cost a lot of money. You gotta, you know, there's, there's a lot of components. You gotta sell a bunch of tickets. You gotta have a lot of sponsorship and you gotta have all those components come together. And, you know, in the deal, you know, like with us, with, with the, with the gray Eagle out there in the Sutina, like, you know, we have that big after party and all that stuff going on. And, you know, they need to sell a lot of beer and they need to move a lot of people through there. And that's what pays for all this stuff. And so, you know, the way we're looking at it is us and the Gray Eagle and and with the nation, you know, I'm very good friends with the chief and, you know, with, with Roy and, and you know, Brent Dodging Horse and all the guys on the, you know, on council. And, you know, when you talk about these things and, you know, Kevin Yates runs the thing out there and and, you know, not only are you, going to generate a lot less money, but you're spending a lot more to try to make, to make a lot less, you know, like you're, you're going to have to have a bunch of dividers, you know, your plexiglass dividers, and we need to have a, a safety company, which, you know, precede with Stacy Meyer. And, you know, they were, we've got them, we've got it all set up and ready to go, but it's just, it's very hard. And I just, you know, and how do you, you know, in the situation we are like our Thursday, we're like, we're sold out two days right now. Like we've, we've got, people that like those bleachers are spoken for. So, you know, if, if we can only have half a crowd, well, what do I do when I've got, you know, I've got 60 bleachers spoken for and I can only put 30, fill 30 of them. Well, how do, what 30 bleachers people do I say, well, you can't come and you can come, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, yeah, it's yeah. tough. So it, it it's, it's a tough situation, but, but uh, you know, we're, we're ready to go if we can go. Um, we can slam it together like my dirt guys. Everything is ready. I mean, we're ready to go. And and the biggest announcement for us, you know, is is we've got a deal back. We're back with PBR. Um, you know, we 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 when when we split there with the ranchmans and everything, and there was major conflict and things happened, and um, and and we didn't get a deal done. You know, that's the first, you know, we started the PBR up here. I mean, it tore my guts out to not be able to do that and, and, and do what we did. I mean, we had a great event. PRC was great to work with CPRA, you know, great people, great organizations, but you know, we, 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 we just, you know, 
PBR is where we started. It's what we built our foundation on. We've been a big part of that from the start of building that, that brand and that name. And it was synonymous. So, you know, it was PBR bull busting for how many years, you know, so we got that, that deal done. I've been, you know, uh, dealing with the, with, with Sean Gleason and, and, and Chris from the PBR and we've got that put together. So that's a, that's going to be really good for us. So if we can't go, you know, this year, um, it's going to be a next year deal and it'll be bigger and better than ever. We're, we're ready to rock. Um, what is that? Uh, <clears throat> is there anything you can say about what that, what that event looks like when it comes back to the PBR? Is it part of the like major tour in Canada or, or what is it, what does it look like that way? Or is it a global cup or like, what are we looking at? Well, no, well, you know, it's, it's just, it, heck you've been to them, Ted and our, you've been to our event lots and we've, yeah. we're, we got a lot of great sponsors. We got a bunch of big national sponsors. You know, we, we like, we've got IBM, we've got Wolseley Canada, you know, we've got big national sponsors of our own that, that, you know, in the PBR, there, there's going to be some components that they will come on and be a part of, but I, you know, it's, our deal is, is, you know, from day one, we've, we've always had wanted great bulls and we want to always have the most prize money. And that's what we're trying to do. And, you know, have a bunch of prize money added and make it really good for the guys and, and, um, and make it a really good corporate event for Calgary where, you know, businesses and companies can get a good return on their investment, you know, and, 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 you know, we, with the, I don't I don't think if you were there, you know, last year when we did it, well, was it two years ago now? It was yeah, 19 year, so, yeah. yeah. So we've got these cabanas all set up. Uh, we sell like 20 cabanas inside for, and they're all corporately branded. And, and it's, it's a, it's a cool, it's a big, cool event. And that's, that's what we, you know, we want to grow and, and just keep on, you know, we've been doing this a long time and we want to keep building our event and it's, it's great. And, you know, and for the charity side of things. So, you know, we got special Olympics on, on the Tuesday, we've got, Canadian Mental Health Association, which really, you know, with Ty and everything that's gone on. So we're huge, huge supporters of that. And then with the uh, Central and Southern Alberta uh, Child Advocacy Center, which used to be the Sheldon Kennedy Child Advocacy Center. So we've got those great charities on board and, and you know, big supporters of that. Plus, there's uh, charitable sources with the, the Sutina with the nation out there. And we raise a bunch of money for them. And it's uh, it's a great thing for the, you know, city of calgary and it's it's great for the the nation out there and great for their people and and we'll just keep on building we've got a great partner out there um you know they're uh, they're behind us a hundred percent and um you know and when 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 we can go it's it's going to be the it's going to be the biggest damn party we've ever had in calgary i'll tell you there's going to be a there's going to be a lot of a lot of fun had out there on the, the great eagle and you know if, if if it's 2021 that'll be great but if it's 2022 it'll be even better that uh, there's, yeah, a there's a lot more space there than there than there ever was before at your previous venue. Like you got, you have a lot more opportunity to, ex- to expand there. That's mm-hmm. that's a yeah. big part of the Gray Eagle. You could do you you just got way more area to for a bigger footprint. You can do a lot more there too, can't you? Yeah, you know, Ted. Over the years, you know, we you know we, the tent. It, it just it, the the event outgrew it. You know, the area there just wasn't big enough, and we had we had way more people in the seats than what we could really handle over yeah. in that tent. So now with at the gray Eagle, I mean, we, we had, you know, we had 4,000 people at the bull riding. Well, we can hold 3,000, 3,500. Not everybody's going to stay. We can hold them all in that, in that event center. Yeah. So we have bands playing and, and with all the corporate branding and I mean, 
and, and companies go there and they get a big, get a good return on their investment. I mean, there's a lot of business done. And, you know, and our, our, our intention with that is so, you know, the, the stampede has those corporate suites all, you know, behind the shoots. Well, how can we kind of replicate? How can, how can we, you know, give our companies a, a good return on their investment? So they, they, they can, you know, buy those cabanas, they, they buy bleachers, they get a cabana, it's all corporate and, and it's really cool. And you can, you know, it, it's the best of both worlds. You know, you want to be there and you want to do business. You can be at your cabana and, and talking and, and doing business, or you can go and dance and party. It's, we got lots of room, lots of area. And, and we've really, really got a good foundation there to grow, to grow this event. This event is going to get really big. We can, like, I, I tell Roy and, you know, Roy Whitney, the chief out there and those people, you know, we, this event can get as big as we want to let it get. You're talking about return on investment. What do you think are the most, uh, I guess I might have a couple things now, but what do you think are the most uh, valuable assets and at a, at a bull riding in your, in your years, your 27, 28 years in, in this business now, what are some of the most valuable assets on the bull riding side of things when you're, when you're selling those sponsorship, what, what do we have for a product? You know, we've always, you know, it's, it's have good bulls and get good guys and, and, and it's production, you know, and they, they know they're going to have a good time. Um, yeah. You know, run a good tight production, keep it professional um, you know, never let that down. Um, and, and, and the, 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 the giving back portion of what we do is, you know, in this city is, you know, so much of it is in, in, you know, when we started that deal at the ranch was with Harris, I mean, him and I fought over that. I said, look, if we, if we, we got to have charitable involvement in the city, if we want an event to like this, to not only to have sustainability, but to grow you know, the flames got, you know, huge charitable aspects and, and the Calgary stampede always, you know, they give back to so many organizations and, you know, and it, that, that's been a, a big, uh, a big cornerstone, a big hook to what is, has, has grown these events to what they are. And, and, and I'm like, you know, if we're here, like, we have to give back to the city. Like we can't just, you know, you can't just do a big event and everybody shows up and then everybody, you make a bunch of money and nobody gets nothing out of it, you know? So from day one, you know, the first event we did there, in uh, two, no, it was in 1999. Was there was an organization called the the Ranch 118, um, and 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 it was a uh, uh, ex RCMP Ross McInnes had started it. Project 118 Youth Ranch it was called, and that first bull riding one day we raised 395 thousand for charity. Holy wow. shit! Between cash and gifts in kind, and I can tell you so. We raised a bunch of cash as well. We did the Calcutta and we, and, and we did a 50, 50, but then what happened was a couple of days after I started getting these calls, I get a call from Westburn. They want to donate all the electrical for the whole 118. Youth ranch. Then I get a call from Burnco. They want to donate all the concrete. So all of this stuff happened, you know, and it was so the difference like of them being able to so put that thing together and not being able to. So that, you know, great from day one. So we've done, you know, we're at a couple million bucks for that over the years and for charity, you know, and even, you know, in 2019, as tough as things are and it, you know, and, and we were going up, we had a lot of things against us and we still raised it like 220 grand for charity. So, you know, we've done a lot of good things and that's, that's what we want to keep doing. And, you know, but just do good professional events. People love coming. They have a great time and they know they're entertained. What have been some of your favorite events and some of your favorite bull rides 
bull riding events you've put together and then content wise, what are some of the greatest bull rides you've seen at the events you've put on? Oh, gee, <laughs> there are so many, you know, um, you know, we, we've done a lot of great events. It's, and, and it's been fun at, uh, you know, like doing those, those, you know, we we're the first ones to do those Bud Light Cup events here in Canada, you know, for three years and, and, you know, and, and uh, you know, those events were great. Um, you know, those extreme bulls. I mean, we, we did that, we, we did that extreme bulls tour down there and, and it was pretty cool to get, you know, I had a lot of competition when they brought me in there, Brian McDonald brought Rhonda and I in there to, and, and Peter came with us or I think it was Peter or Jim Martin. We had to bid, you know, we had to bid on those to, to do the production on those events. And uh, we were damn sure not the cheapest, but they hired us. And so we, we got to do all of them and we did some really cool, neat stuff. Uh, you know, San Antonio, we sold that, you know, they, they weren't getting very many people at, on that afternoon performance. We sold that thing out for three years in a row. And, it, you know, because, well, no, the first, you know what, the first year we had, I think the first year was nine or 10,000 and, and it, they went berserk. Like they loved it. And then the next year they sold it right out and then it, and it's never stopped. And it just, it really built a group. Um, you know, we've had a lot of great, that, that first event when we sold out up there in Edmonton, Man, I'll tell you, you talk about, I, I, I felt like I was 96. <laughs> I mean, it, it was, I'm telling you, it was, it was like, you know, I, I think that when that place was full and we turned people away, you know, in, in this business, that's a great feeling. Mm -hmm. And, but there's been so, you know, so many good rides and, and I'll tell you, there's a ride that, that people kind of forget about at uh, the Ranchman's that one day there was four nineties in the short round recently and Chad best plug wrote a bull called under pressure Kelly Armstrong's and Chad was about 19 and under pressure weighed about 2,100. He was a great big, you couldn't get out and he's squatting in there and it was kind of getting a little bit kind of dark and Chad nodded and this dude flew out of there and I'm talking, got it right there to the right and buck. And Cody Custer to this day tells me it's the top three of the best rides he's ever seen away from the guys in. Wow. And oh, Kelly wow. and I still talk about that ride. Like people, and I've said that for years, that's a long time ago. And we've seen a lot of bull rides. And back to this, that's one of the best. I mean, I don't think people realize what they've seen. And I, I don't know if Chad realizes what he did that day. But he, <laughs> that, that bull bucked like hell. And oh. we, we've seen a lot of good bull rides there. And you know, over the years, it's, it's just, you know, so many great guys that have come through those events, you know, like Troy Dunn and, you know, Tuff came and rode a bunch of times and, you know, Ted Noose and when your friends, and that was what was really cool when my friends would be able to come, the guys that I'd rodeoed with, you know, in them earlier years and, and, and you, and then, you know, now, now you get to stay involved and you meet guys and, you know, it, it's cool. And I, you know, I've stayed, I stayed involved, you know, and I got, I judged the PBR world finals a bunch of times and stuff, you know, so it's, it's been fun. It's been a great ride. It's been a hell of a career and heck, and I'm, I'm far from done, man. I got a lot of bull riding left in me. I got, oh, yeah. I'm having fun. And, you know, Rhonda and I, and, and our girls are involved, you know, in Reese and Jordan and, and, you know, and so it's, it's a real good family affair and, you know, uh, you know, Reese with her, you know, she's hospitality management and, in school and, and, and taking business. And so she can, you know, they, they'll stay her and between her and Jordan, they can step right up and do this stuff. So it, it's pretty cool to have a good family business going like this. It's that's got sustainability and uh, you know, that we can keep growing on. Yeah. What, what is next in for bull bust and bull bust? Well, what, what, what does it look like? 
uh, you tell me. <laughs> open, open, up, open up the, uh, open us up. Let's get back to work. Yeah, that's, you know, that's where it's at, Ted. And I can't, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm very good friends with John Barlow, who's our MP here. And, you know, we talk about it. Like he says, there's nothing you can do. You just, you have to wait. It's, it's in the hands of the health department. And, you know, I mean, I mean, that, that, that's kind of where it's at. So we're, I stay in touch. I stay pretty close contact with the stampede, you know, people that I need to. And, and we'll just, we'll just see where things go. I mean, we'd love to have Swift Current again and, you know, but you know, we're just, we're, we're out of time. I mean, it just, there's, there's things that are all, it's, it's so against us right now. And so it's got a, it's kind of a hurry up and wait scenario. And I'm not really interested in being like, you know, when you read about the NHL losing one and a half billion dollars and the NBA losing 3 billion and, yeah, and it's just not our, you know, I just, I, can't I just, I can't it. sustain mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wacy, I guess I'll leave it to you. I, uh, go ahead. That's, you got it. You got it covered, man. That, that was, that's cool, man. I, I love hearing about that stuff. I remember going to your bull riders when I was a kid and like medicine at and Lethbridge and stuff. That was kind of my first exposure to those big events. So it's cool to, to see how far it's come and have it, have a conversation about it. But I guess to wrap things up, we'll, we'll ask the a question we ask all of our guests. What is your definition of cowboy shit? <laughs> my definition of cowboy shit i think we've hit we've hit a lot of the points throughout the conversation so you just like pull some stuff together we've already talked about and it could, al- it could also be a story from uh of an experience of cowboy shit you witnessed on the road or or something as well tyler maybe- thompson jesus <laughs> <laughs> we've done some cowboy shit over there he lives five miles down the road and we've done some wow no you know um oh god a guy's just seen so many cool things over the years and it just you know just you know I had so many great friends and you know Kevin West and Kevin Rockbar and Dale Johansson and you know and Dan Lowry and guys and it's just um you know you, you just I, I I just love seeing guys get put in the effort I can't you know still to this day I can't stand when guys don't try their guts out I, I love seeing that and that's that's what it boils down to in, in bull riding there's no there, there's you know there, there's there's judges and all of that's involved but still the guy who rides the most and stays on the most is the guy who wins the most and then, you know that's never changed and I I just I, I I I love I love seeing guys you put the money up and they show up and they try their guts out and put in the effort that's that's cowboy shit trying hard that's you know that that's it that's in any sport though man you you know you you got to try hard but this stuff is they don't care how big your buckle is or where you're from or what your name is you got to show up and get on and and stay on and put out the effort and i'm still with this I, I love seeing that when guys put up and i'll be the first guy that's there but i'll tell you i'll tell you you know in, in this just to flip quickly on that is 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 where things have come now with the whole head injury side of things and, you know, with Ty and, and everything that happened is to see guys taking it in their own, own hands now where they're not getting on when they're hurt and they're not feeling good. That's the new cowboy shit. Mm-hmm. Cause that's, that's being smart. You gotta, you know, there's always tomorrow, you know, so it's good to see guys that guys are, are paying attention to that. And it's, you know, and, and, you know, Tanner Burton and them guys that are, that are running the ties foundation and done a good job and they're, you know, building on that. And it's good that people are paying attention. And I, I've had, you know, 
I've had some guys, you know, uh, Matt uh, from Montana. Triplet. Uh, he's on the on the big tour. Um, triplet? Matt, Matt triplet. Matt Triplet. You know, a couple of years ago, three years ago at the Ranchman's, and he went second in the long round, and I said, what do you got? And he comes out, he says, I'm not getting on. I said, really? He says, yeah. He says, I kind of kind of got off a little hard, and I just don't. And I'm like, that's what I love to see. You know, take – so that it's it's come a long way with that, and I that you know that, like I said, that's kind of the new cowboy shit to me is paying attention, and you know you you got a long career, and it's tough it's tough in our business though too because you're not going to get paid. It's kind of a tough part of the system though if if a guy doesn't get on it, you don't get paid because I bet there were probably numerous times where you rode after you were concussed <laughs> in your career, but because oh, that's yeah. what that's what you did, and and that's how you made a living. Where right now it's 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 even more tough to. Uh, take yourself out of the game and out of, and away from a paycheck too. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, and, and that, that, and that is tough, you know, and that, that's the thing it's, uh, but it's, it's, it's changed so much, you know, there's so many more opportunities now and, you know, and there always is, there is tomorrow. Mm-hmm. There's another, you know, it used to be, it used to be, you go to Del Rio, you get on your first one and, and that dude can go out there and you can ride him and you, you get all bad and you smack your head on the ground and you're half KO'd and they, you, you got to get on. Cause that, that's the biggest paycheck of the year. And you got one crack, right. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, so now you've got every weekend, there's, there's something bigger, there's something better. There's something else down the road that you can, that you can go to. We, uh, there's one thing that just, that I've been thinking about here for a second. We talked about when, when Lane Frost passed away, but what was it, what was it like for you when, when Glenn Keeley passed away in 2000, what was that? That was a, an awful time in, in Canadian bull riding history. And you were, it was true. It was 2000. So you were in the middle of the production business, you know, seven years into producing events. What, what was that? What, what was that like for you? That had to be a devastating day too. Yeah, that was, that was right there. That, you know, that, that was, that was really, really tough. And, you know, I, how I learned about Aaron, Seamus called me, you know, Aaron and I are very, very good friends. And he called me that when that happened that night from Albuquerque. And I, I was just like, I can remember it as clear as day right now. It was what 11 o'clock at night phone rings and, you know, you just, and it was, I, I couldn't believe it. Same thing. And, you know, I, Jesus, I knew Glenn from, he's a little kid. He was riding steers up the CF Hart, you know, and got to know them so good. And John, and, you know, and we, Heck, I went down there and gathered yearlings with them and helped them. And yeah, and you know, and Glenn, you know, he lived right down the road there. And heck, I talked to Glenn all the time. I mean, here's just Glenn and Jason, and you know, it was yeah, that was that was devastating as well. It, 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 it's just a massive shocker when that kind of stuff goes on. And it was, yeah, Glenn was, you know, and he was just just kind of right, he was riding better than he'd ever rode. Like he was. He was winning. We talked about it at Rodeo Royal, had a really good visit just, you know, geez, a couple of weeks before that, week before that. He was at Rodeo Royal and he was just his smile and that gap tooth. And he was just, he was in a zone. Like he was, he had, it had kind of, the, it had kind of turned on. He, something had clicked and Glenn was riding. He just kind of, you know, he, Glenn kind of rode back quite a bit all the time and he kind of got so he was he changed his style something he was just riding better 
and he was riding everything. And he was kind of, and he was riding, riding buckers. Well, he was and, like fourth in the world too, wasn't he? Like, yeah, he, he was, I, I can't remember where he was, but he was riding really good. And, and he, he was just full of confidence. Like it was, you know, and, and it, yeah. And yeah, it's, it's horrible when that, when that happens. It, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I mean, that's one of the best bull riding events we go to every year now though, is in Glenn's memory. And mm-hmm. for them to move back to the ranch at the, right at there at Natton has been a, it was a pretty awesome, awesome change for, for that event. Not nothing against Stavely and what they had in town, but it was, it was pretty special for it to be back at the ranch and, and see him up on the, on the hill there. And, you know, one of the best events, one of the best, best events and, 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 and greatest families in, in this sport too, to see Justin and, and the whole crew and Brad and, and Jason and, Clayton, everybody, it's it's uh, it's. I don't I don't even know how to explain it, but it it I guess it goes back to what you said about bull riding and, and this whole everybody's family, right? When mm-hmm. yeah, lost you know, and them got like you know that's and and it, it it's the same like they raise a bunch of money for charity. They yeah. guys all work their asses off down there, you know, and and they do such a great job. It's a great event, and you know, and there's they've got a pile of sponsors, and you know, and they and they doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing. And it's really cool. And it comes out in a, like they, you know, Justin and, and Brad and, and, and Clayton and, and Jason and, and Teresa and then, you know, the whole family, like it's, it's, it's oh, yeah. a big family. And, and not, not only that's all Glenn's friends, like yeah. everybody, nobody's ever forget. Like, like he was a hero to, to people, you know, it's, he was, Glenn was a, he was a good guy. How can he be? I mean, they're a great family. I mean, and yeah. He, he was a, he's an awesome guy and, and everybody loved Glenn. I mean, and you know, it, it, it just, it, that, that's, that's the part of this sport. That's the, that's why the togetherness that I, 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 you know, that, you know, when, you know, back in the day, like I said earlier, you know, at the start of this is, you know, there's at the NFR, there was 15 of us in there and, you know, cause you, you never know when that can happen. And, yeah. you know, when you're, you're all so tight, but yeah, that, that was, that was one of the saddest days in, in Canadian rodeo history for sure. Did you ever get on bulls in there, in their shed at the house? No, I never did. They had? That, no. was, <laughs> that was just a little bit. Yeah, it was right there. Just, that was right at the end of my deal when the guys were doing that, but I seen it. <laughs> yeah. Wait, did you have something there? Well, I was, was going to add to what we're talking about. It's one of those things where like, even from my end of things and working on the back end of all this stuff, it's, it's really cool to be, and I feel really fortunate to be part of the legacy of these guys. Like I, I obviously didn't really know Glenn, but a guy I looked up to growing up as a young, young bull rider in Canada. And and then with Ty, like uh, having personally know him, it, we're so lucky to, it, it's sad that they're gone, but we're fortunate to be able to carry on their legacy. And there's some, been a lot of good come out of it too. Well, that's, you know, and that's when these things happen, it's, it's, you know, trying to, you know, keep that legacy and do things right. And, and, and I, you know, with, with Ty's deal, same, you know, you got to carry that legacy on. And, and he was another one, you know, he's, heck, we were his agent for three or four years. Rhonda and I, I mean, I, I handled Ty's stuff. I mean, it, 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 you know, there's nothing more devastating than when that, that goes on, but you know, the young guys like that, and, but it's great when their friends step up and keep that legacy going. And, um, it's uh, them guys have done a good job of it, and you know it's it's not going away. He'll he'll stay here forever. That's great, and it's it's great for his family. You know, it's you'll never get over it. I, I lost my oldest brother when he was 
32 years old. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine a child, but it, it, uh, you never, ever get over it. Like, you, you know, you, you just, it, there, the, you, you can't, you know, it, 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 it's very hard. It's devastating. And, and for the, for families to, when it hits you right close like that, it, uh, nothing worse, but it, and, but like you guys said, is to, to, to keep that legacy alive and to help. I think, you know, you know, the, the way that with the whole tie foundation and everything behind it. And it's, uh, I think it's saved a lot of guys and it's, it's sure opened eyes. And I'm, I mean, like we said with Matt Tripp with that, you know, you know, two years before that, he would have never, ever not got on. Yeah. And now, yeah. now they're not. Even, even working like the time, like, like Ty's stuff spent, uh, like we kind of helped. Well, I, I remember, I mean, I helped get that thing going. Um, I, w- w- the first, the first meeting for Ty's foundation was here in Calgary at, uh, at, uh, Rob Grundy's office at the rib tour building on, uh, on 10th Ave. Right. So I got everybody together, got the times lined out and we got it all set up and going and the, and Ty's merch lived at the house here for since like March of 2017 until, uh, just last fall in November, we shipped all the merchandise to everybody across the Canada, the U S everywhere it went. And it never felt too much like work, right? Like we're doing, yeah. it for, we're doing it for, uh, out of the goodness of what we want to, you know, I want, I want to, as part of the board of directors for that foundation, I want to make sure that I can help out as much as I can and make, you know, mm-hmm. make the greatest impact and make, make his legacy live on and make those conversations and, and decisions like, like Matt, um, makes make that stuff happen that's we've completely yeah. changed the thought of the sports and i'm extremely proud of that and extremely happy to spend my time and volunteer my time to make that stuff happen right like we've i don't know how much stuff wacy and i like wacy did it as well he and i would be up here in the office and packing orders and shipping it out and it never really <laughs> never really felt too much like no, it was just like let's get yeah. it done and get this shit going right like let's let's make it happen so it was yeah that's cowboy shit that's cowboy yeah, shit. It does. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah. Well, thanks exactly. for doing this with us, Cody. This was uh, a lot of fun. No, it's great. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. It was, yeah, it was, yeah. it was fun and brought back a lot of great memories and <laughs> things that a guy don't think about unless he's asked about them. But I, you guys do a great job and and it's good. You guys are it, it, it's great for bull riding, great for rodeo. What you guys are doing and you're doing a hell of a job and 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 that that's cowboy shit too. It's cool. <laughs> we appreciate it. Thanks, fun. Cody. Yeah. We appreciate it a lot. Appreciate your time. We took you way longer than we, uh, than we planned to here, but this was, this was great. And we it's good uh, stuff. Yeah. Look forward to getting back to it. Stay well. And, uh, and to you and, and your, and all yours and, and we'll catch up again here soon. Sounds good. Thanks guys. Welcome back. This is episode 88 of Cowboy Shit with Ted and Wacy. It's beautiful spring in Alberta. The weather doesn't know what golf to do. Golf season's on the way. Right? I got my first round of golf in this week. 
Um, didn't shoot very good. You did? Where'd you go? Good shots. I went and golf with Brenda Vold in Pinocchio. Oh shit! Nice. At Wolf Creek. I only got in nine holes, but it was great. Brenda, so I my got... my mom and dad said that Speargrass is opening like this week soon. Yeah, and I think yeah. we'll be open. Tarps are off. Tarps off. The uh, there was a little bit of bows. snow still at our spot, but we'll be. Uh, it we'll sucks because like the most quick. part of it's like in the low parts of the down the valley. valley yeah, yeah, that's okay though. No, it's all good, man. We uh, See, I'm excited. I'm excited for it though. I'm chomping at the bit to get out and get some games played. Get some. Get your cowboy shit balls. Cash. I only lost one yesterday. Chalk that That's one up for good. advertising. Yeah. So Pro V1? You use the Pro V1s? 1X. Damn, I don't know what the difference is, but that's fine. Turns out, turns out we talked to I talked to the guys at the golf course mm-hmm. and uh I tried to get some from them. Like we were talking with Bill, talking with Bill about it, and, and I want mm-hmm. to try and see if I could support the the guys at the golf shop too, and uh like to get some from them as well. And then turns out they talked to titleist and they let and titles is like yeah we're not going to print that on a golf ball they're like yeah the, no. uh now you were brand what so how so cowboy so titleist won't actually let us do um cowboy but bill does ball, but bill does bill's Take the bill's bill. the wildcat so bill can get bill, it bill lives bill plays by his own <laughs> rules man he doesn't care bill, bill doesn't give a the shit boys yeah gonna do it he's, he's gonna the honey badger yeah. put shit on a ball i don't give a shit i don't give a shit i'll put i'll put cowboy shit on a golf ball that's so, awesome that's, that's, that that's a cool story, man. That's all. Got yes. you back. <laughs> Screw you, suckers. You almost switched to Taylor Made. Yeah, just out of spite. Yeah. yeah, but Bill's gonna hook us up anyways. I just thought I should oh, talk yeah. to the golf course a little bit and like I want to yeah. try and help those guys out. And then, uh, but yeah, here we go. Take nice. That I'm excited, man. It seems like yeah. we're on the right Maybe track good. for warm weather. The wind's yeah. been quite intense the last few days, but hopefully that helps yeah. for the drying process. But anyways, exactly. yeah. Okay, man. But I have a would you again. rather for you. I was gonna oh, let's oh. talk Cody a bit more. Okay. I was surprised to hear hear a lot of these stories. It was just such a cool cool show. He made a, he made a good point at the end um, with how it's fun to like revisit stories because he doesn't you, you don't get the chance to talk about them and oh and he's he, working and, like, downtown it, it, now. And it brings up and it just brings up stuff that a guy kind of forgets about you know and and like kind of you and I talked about it after um, after the fact and it's even for like us like it's fun to like reminisce on old rodeo stories and oh, yeah. places you've been and people you've met and fun experiences you had so it's it's really cool that we have a platform where these guys can come on and and talk about these old stories and and like i like i said too off, offline was like how powerful like him talking about lane frost was and that kind of stuff too oh like yeah that was that i gave me chills dude like that that's uh that was really, that lived, really right yeah yeah so it's cool to it's cool to talk to somebody who who yeah who was around for that kind of stuff especially for something that was like so impactful on our generation of cowboys and cowgirls, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, uh, I don't know what to say. I don't know what else to say. I don't know what else to say on that. It was, I, I really enjoyed it, but I guess That's I was, fun, man. I kind of got sidetracked for a sec, but like, and a lot of people like, I don't want to say, I, I, I want to say Cody might be a bit of a polarizing figure. Like if you go mm-hmm. back that way, like there's a lot of people that have some misconceptions on, on who he really is and they might not actually know him and, and like, mm. I haven't had a whole lot of experience with Cody. Like I worked for mm. him at, I think I've only worked for him at one bull riding so far directly yeah. where it was, where I was the music guy for him. So I just, you know, I've been breaking into this side of the business and, and yeah, I only actually worked for him at like one event. And then we did some mm-hmm. stuff with the ranchman's kind of indirectly for a few years on the video side of things. And then, and then we actually talked about, uh, the, like his, uh, about the rant, like about bull Boston at one point, but never, mm. uh, but it never materialized. So hopefully like, I'd love to work his events. He puts on great events. So I, uh, yeah, no, he's, you know. it's cool, man. It, it, and even like you said, like there's a lot of misconceptions around Cody and, and who he is and yeah, having that opportunity to sit down and have a real conversation and hear and hear 
like hear it from him like that's the best way to get to know somebody in it and i think yeah. that people people will probably come out of that listening to that interview with a different outlook on like who cody is and stuff because he, he, he he's he's a good dude and he, like you say he brings uh puts on really good events like i've, I've wrote it a few of them and stuff and been around at the ranches with you when it was on and oh yeah and like it was and like it was the same thing like i had the same misconceptions you know because i didn't know the guy and and mm. i'm thankful again i'm thankful we have this type of platform to have these conversations with these kind of people and you get to kind of see yeah. who they really are and then make and then make your own decision and make your own judgment right so yeah 100%. i think people after listening to this are gonna have to have yeah just kind of like change, reach, maybe just, re- yeah, just reach just recheck what yeah recheck what they think yeah exactly so it's kind of it's, it's neat that we're able to deliver that to people and it's really cool that guys like cody are willing to take some time and chat with us about it because it's funny i was telling some people about it how like we only had them scheduled in for like an hour-long conversation but we rambled on for almost like two and a half hours like it was nuts oh yeah it yeah, was awesome it was nice to plan it at a time like that when we could go and ramble on like that yeah it's cool man and, yeah. and like yeah it's sort of kind of those things where you just hit a talking point and you just run with it and you find something else to chat about and whatever like there's there's so there's so many cool stories and and whatever through that whole that whole conversation i really enjoyed it that's part of what i like about this format too is that we can actually get uh we can actually get deeper into these conversations everything i shouldn't say everything but a lot of things now are so quick and that you know all our social and tiktok mm-hmm. is like what tiktok super short mm-hmm. twitter you can only use so many characters there's, we don't get those, those deep stories, many other formats and people aren't willing to read long stories as much now. Like the, the writing has mm-hmm. really gone by the wayside mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Now we have to pay a lot of, for a lot of journalism with these different outlets too. Right. So it's kind of, and it's really rigid that structure too, though. Like it's, yeah. there's a lot of cliche, cliche questions and cliche answers that you really, you don't really yeah. get, get too it's deep like into hockey, it. Like the, between the period Mm-hmm. interviews like when do you ever get anything useful out of those mm-hmm. that's a new like a new and i mean new it's, content, it's one of those right? things too like someone i was watching what i saw a jimmy fallon clip on that where it, like he had an nba guy in he's like the reason why the hockey players like deliver those cliches constantly is because like there's their oxygen to their brain is like it's low because they just got done like busting their ass for a certain amount of time so it's hard for them yeah. to come up with valuable answers so like the cliche is easy for them to resort to like he made the guy made jimmy fallon like run on the spot for a minute and then asked him a bunch of like hard like interview questions and it's hard to think of that stuff so it's uh it makes sense i guess why that happens and it's not it doesn't really add any value to like the, yeah like it's but, cool to talk but to that's where like that's like, where platforms like us come in you know where like we can have these conversations with guys like Cody who maybe you wouldn't have access to, or like somebody living in the States doesn't really know, or somebody who saw him on Cal- on the Calgary Stampede broadcast, like, Oh, I hate that guy. It's like, or, well, you know what? Like, or somebody he knows from uh, somebody he knows from downtown. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. Just so many, yeah, there's a lot more to it. So mm-hmm. it's cool that we're, we're able, we've, we've built a platform like this and been able to have these like quality conversations with people. It's, it's fun. It's been fun. The only, the only other places where this kind of, journalism really happens in our sport now would be like the prca has some long form journalism Mm -hmm. um they the cowboy channel they have their content but it's it's all quick stuff and they i think they might have some longer form stuff but i I don't even Mm -hmm. have the channel yet on tv and don't have a subscription by any means and you know, been kind of too, a lot of that, a lot of that TV stuff and long form journalism, it's still the same structure, right? Still like pretty it's rigid, the same yeah. questions and the same stories and, and, and whatever. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like people like to see that and like to hear it, but yeah. What makes us unique in a sense. And, and like Chris Lane told us about too, is like, our, like we're authentic in our delivery and, and the conversations we have are yeah. real, which is, I think people, people can relate to the realism of that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I think it makes, it's a big deal that we're able to, to deliver that, which is, and it's, probably been why we've been growing is 
like a pretty steady pace here now for the last yeah. few months. So hopefully it keeps rolling. We'll just mm-hmm. keep plugging away, keep doing shows. But thanks again to Cody for the time. We took mm-hmm. way too much time, but that was uh that <laughs> was good. Uh, great show. I really enjoyed it and looking forward to talking to more people. I, I gotta ask him how if he can uh if he'd be willing to to uh get us connected with tough Hedeman. I'm really curious about the whole story. The part of what I asked about mm-hmm. where he split with the PBR. I'm really I'm really curious what went down there. There was a book uh Fried Twinkies, Buckle Bunnies, and the PBR. Like it was a, that season where they did, where they, where Tough ended up leaving. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what all went down. I, like, I, I don't want to bring up dirty laundry, but I'm just curious, like, because he was such a driving force behind at the beginning. And then he's For had sure, a CBR yeah. since. And there's some, I think he's probably got some crazy stories. So I'd, I'd love to talk to him. And, and again, he's another kind of guy too. It'd be fun to hear his old rodeo stories. Like, there's a lot, oh, lot there. It'd be, yeah. it'd, be, it'd be really cool to talk to a guy like that. So 100%. Cody hooks yeah. up, bro. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll get that done. But yeah, thanks again, Cody, for being part of the show. And I think one thing we didn't touch on a ton was uh, was family with Cody. Like like he and Rhonda started this thing together, and they've been doing mm-hmm. it for you know mm-hmm. at this point uh, twenty eight years, I guess now since which is really cool. Right? Yeah, and, and he made, and he brought up the point of his girls too. Like they're like basically yeah, they're Jordan and Reese in schools. Like well. yeah, it's gonna allow them right. to separate in, which is really and neat. they both worked at the events for the last quite a while now you know i've seen mm-hmm. seen them at the events for numerous years so yeah pretty cool that they could be a family event that way and that's kind of what, what it's like for uh for a lot of people in this in this business right like you mm-hmm. look at like like chad and crystal best plug with alpha bull or jason and twyla and blaine and daphne like blaine daphne kinda, yeah exactly man. right or yeah. like even i could even say like storm and i are building this cowboy shit stuff like with the merchandise we're both working on it together so it's it's cool to see that kind of stuff but yeah i don't think i don't think cody gets enough credit on this on the on building these bull ridings in Canada. And I don't know if people mm-hmm. know it as much at this point. And I, and, and I think a big thanks is owed to Rhonda and as well. So I'm glad we got to, glad we got to do this uh, show with Cody and kind of mm-hmm. maybe bring some of that to light. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, I agree, man. It's great. What's your, what's your question? I, oh yeah. So I have a, would you rather for you? Like, would you rather go skydiving or bungee jump? Skydiving. That, Cause, yeah. Cause our, cause our editor, Sean Morton uh, is a former skydiver and you were talking, you want to go. My, yeah. Sorry about my brother. Cause my brother went one time. Yeah. My brother apparently went in his cowboy boots, like just rock rocked it in his cowboy boots. And my, and Sean said he was cool as a cucumber, like just like totally level. That's your bro, man. He wasn't just, even that's nervous. His, yeah. Just like dove out of a plane in his in cowboy boots. Like that was, that's pretty cool. I saw what, what's driving my, like, I don't know, passion or like my interest in trying skydiving. I saw a TikTok and it's like the, 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 the like, the like wording with it was like if you're seeing this video right now this is your sign to go skydiving this summer and then buddy like goes in <laughs> goes into like goes into his experience skydiving and how Good he's marketing. like he's a super he's like a super like he's really scared of heights like he just didn't want to do it and then a buddy asked him to go and he's like yeah i'll do it and he talks about like the anticipation like leading up into actually jumping off the plane and being strapped to the person and he's like they say they're gonna count to three then jump and they say one and then they bail out of the plane he said that initial like shock of the free fall is scary but then once it like hits that you're like you're okay and you're kind of just floating in the air he said it's like one of the coolest experiences ever so i bet i was like i was like fuck i i want to i got i'm i'm scared of heights like i'll like put it out there like i like i, li- I live in the, like my new my new apartment's on the 21st floor and i give myself vertigo every morning when i open up my blinds because it's like so far down i have to like take a step back <laughs> and um so the same I, way. yeah it's, it's really it's scary but I, it's one of those things i think if a guy were to try to just be a cool experience, I'm a big yeah. fan of like trying stuff that scares me a little bit, just because it kind of keeps you checks you, lets you check yourself, you know? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. So might take some convincing and, but maybe by the end of the summer, we can go, we can go do a cowboy shit skydive. Would you be down we with do, that? I'd be down. I think we should practice at the, at the, at the no practice. Bowl. I don't want to practice. I want to practice at the mechanical. I want to raw dog it, man. I think it'd be, I think it'd be interesting to try that 
thing with Sean though, like that um, I fly or For whatever sure. it's called. But it's one of those it's things like, too, it's a form of like how you got to like go so you know what but it's one of those things too though it's like a a mechanical bull isn't a lot like riding a real bull oh i know i'm just kidding i'm just kidding you know i'm curious about this thing so we'll see but uh um big show recording this week um i don't want to say too much but we got it booked we've got aaron watson uh lined up for it'll we'll actually record with him the day after this show comes out so we've got him lined up then we've got uh scott davis from the wcra coming back up on on a show uh Mm -hmm. he's likely we've got him booked for the 89 then we'll probably put aaron watson for 90 got a new record out so got that on the go and then we'll just keep, keep buying on cowboy trucking. shit keep going yeah cowboyshit.ca check it out previous code shows. Waste 10 to save some some little quiche there you go there you go check it out okay well thanks for listening everybody thanks wacy for being on the show once again today and we'll uh see you all see you all out there thanks. happy trails folks took my first breath where the muddy rises spills into the gulf Mexico, the skyline's colored by chemical plants that put bread on the table of the working man. Where the working man does his best to provide safety and shelter for kids and a wife. Giving a little of a soul every day, making overtime to keep the wolves away. 